Hi, I'm Trenton Stander. Hi, I'm Tim Brown. And, and this is the Open Heart Cast. Three, two, one. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are here in uh, Tim Brown's workshop this evening. And Tim and I have got a lot of work ahead of us, haven't we, Tim? Yep, uh, we are busy with um, some hand sanding here on some knives for the Brooklyn Knife Show, which is next weekend. Next weekend. What the Imagine. What the fuck, over? It's a lot of stress. It's a lot of stress. So we are, um, I mean, I'm very behind, to be honest. Um, I feel like my justifications for that have run out. So, um, yeah, so I'm trying to get as much work done here at Tim. Uh, we needed to do some work together on the uh, on the Jeffrey. Yes. So that's part of the reason why I'm here, but I've brought a whole bunch of work to do with me while I'm here. So, uh, yeah. Tim, how are you, buddy? Um, Actually, how are you? I am surprisingly under the circumstances not doing too badly not doing too badly that, that's that's always good that's yeah always good. i'm in a good place today because i didn't go to the <coughs> factory the office today yes yeah well that place gets you down doesn't it brother yeah it's, i know fuck, it's a fucking nightmare but it's soul destroying but you know what we gotta do what we gotta do yeah absolutely so yeah today um I fitted a handle to a knife, uh, kitchen knife for Brooklyn. Yeah. I finished engraving that axe um, that we did that I, I forged for Brooklyn. And it's got a dragon head on it. Yeah. That 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 is beautiful, by the way. I mean, I've, yeah. I've said to you, very very impressive, bro. Where is the? Oh, there's the Jeffrey. And then I I oh, the I'd already ground the fullers on the Jeffrey. Mm. Uh, it's actually not a great place for it. Yeah, Trenton, uh, I forged it. Trenton uh, cleaned up the bevels before the heat treat and he drilled the holes for the handle. And I've done the rough grinding and tomorrow we're going to do the finishing grinding. And it is looking <clears throat> as sick as far. It's looking lovely. And for somebody who bought... Like, I know there's guys out there who have bought multiple tickets, but for mm. the guys who've bought maybe one ticket and stand a chance of winning it, you could be getting a beautiful knife uh, for 50 bucks. So get in on it, guys. The The competition is still up. Yes. So uh, we'll be releasing, we'll, we'll be stopping entries. Um, the Sunday. Probably on the Sunday at the Brooklyn Knife Show. Or when we run out of tickets. Or when, or when we run out of tickets. Which at this rate, it might be before the show even starts. It could be. It could be. We will have a limited number available at the show specifically. So if you're only available, if you're only going to be able to get your uh, ticket then, we can definitely, we definitely have uh, separate tickets dedicated for the Brooklyn Knife Show. Okay. Oh, and then uh, Trenton uh, went through to Pretoria today to go pick up uh, some shirts, yes. which are looking just. They are lovely. 
my dear girlfriend and I went through. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's she's a absolute winner. Like she she just has helped us out with this entire process, uh, getting the artwork done for it, and incredible artwork, might I add. Yeah. And all the organizing of things for us, it's been extremely helpful. And then the other thing you picked up as well was the stickers we had made. Yes. Those are... We've, They're incredible. They I are, love them. They are so classic. <laughs> I'm going to buy one. <laughs> Fuck that. You really paid for them, man. Right. <laughs> I'm going to take right. one. I'm going to take one of each. Yeah. I'm going to take one of each, too. Although my wife said if you put the one sign up, you're not going to mention what's on the signs yet. Yeah. My wife said if we, if I put that sign up in my garage, neither I or Trenton can come into the public garage. Yes. And so I understand the concept. You'll have to wait. Yeah. <laughs> and then I picked up yesterday afternoon, I picked up my business cards. They look lovely. Yeah, look Kamika, lovely. Kamika did the design for them. And I had them printed here at Bonsai Graphics in Benoni. Mm-hmm. And they did a flippin' just job at a good price. Um but yeah, it was a November special, but still. It's I great, dude. It's, it's like awesome. Awesome, yeah. It's brilliant. But um, I should probably carry on with this hand sanding. I'm busy hand sanding a chef's knife that I forged near the beginning of lockdown. And it is a 52100 blade with, um, it's the integral, but the bolster sections have been forged, well, it's forged welded uh, wrought iron on it. So I'm going to surprise myself when I do the etch on it to see what the pattern in the raw time is going to be because I haven't really etched it properly You've yet. been patient. I've you been patient. You I want to see the look. supplies. Oh, man. It's, it's to have patience and wait to see how mm. things are turning out. It's always difficult. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Just taking a, a bit of a break from the hand sanding. My fingers are... Our fingers have been stuffed by the amount of hand sanding that Sim and I have been doing. Yeah, but I'm lucky because, I mean, I half cut my finger off. Yeah, so your finger is totally numb. <laughs> so I don't quite have the feeling back in the tip of my right index yeah. finger, which is great for hand sanding, by yes. the way. I, I recommend it, but... Um, well... <laughs> actually, I don't recommend yeah. it. <laughs> It's not a it was, great idea to <laughs> chop your finger off or lose feeling in any part of your body. But um, yeah. if it's helpful because of what happened, that's fine. <laughs> there's a positive. There's a positive. There you go. I mean, there's still one month left of this year in a few days' time. Yeah. It's actually today is the 27th. So that would be in a month's time is my birthday. Oh, wow. And then I'll be a whole 45. That's crazy. Well, happy birthday to you in advance, brother. I'm sure, sure. we'll do something. Yeah. We'll get together for sure. We will, uh, um, we'll smoke a couple of cigars. Yeah, the, the kind Alex Jones had on on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
this is just a cigar. <laughs> Yo. And then what came out was, what the fuck? Is this just tobacco? Yeah, that's just straight up tobacco. <laughs> these gods that are looking into these crystal balls, and they're envisioning that what their own thoughts into the... It's like crazy, dude. That guy was tripping. Big he was time. tripping balls. Big time. As Joe Rogan would say. Tripping balls. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. We we have a lot of ideas that we won't really discuss because we want to have a little bit of surprise for people. Yeah. Uh, surprise. Surprise. You had a joke you've been wanting to tell me the whole day, but you haven't told it to me yet. I've been saving it. Bro. You've been saving it? I've been saving it for this moment. I've been saving it for the audience and the podcast. Um, okay. Right. So you got to stop hand sanding for this joke. You, you gotta, you, you gotta zone in on this one. There we go. Okay, let's have a smoke. Right. So, there's this flippin' hunter, right? And he now, his life dream has been to go and shoot this, this uh, the biggest bear he can find in Alaska, the biggest grizzly he can find in Alaska. So now he goes on this mission. And uh, he says, I'm going to find the biggest bear I can possibly find and make this hunt the most incredible hunt. Like he's been waiting for this moment all his life and now it's here. So he goes into the Alaskan wilderness and he's trekking for days and he sees a, a grizzly it's not quite the one he's looking for. He's looking for a big boy. A he's looking big for a big boy. bad bear. A big bad bear. Right? So anyway, so he's tracking, he's tracking, he's tracking, and he is just motoring it. And eventually he comes across this motherfucker of a bear. Right? This massive grizzly bear, just full of testosterone and viciousness and just pure anger and death in its eyes he comes across this thing and he's like that's the fucking one that's the one so he he takes his fucking his uh his muzzle loader and he takes this thing and he lines up and he takes the shot and he thinks mm, that was a hit the bear must go he must have gone down so he goes over there and he's looking around, and he's like, but this was the spot. This is where I shot him. Where is he? There's no blood trail. What's going on here? And next minute, he feels a tap on his shoulder. And he turns around, and it's the bear. And the bear says, listen, let me fuck you, or I'll fuck you up. So he's like, oh, no. So this guy just gets fucked by this bear. He goes <laughs> limping back into town. And he's pissed off. He's dehydrated. He's been, like, hiking through the bush while being, like, raped and stuff. Like, he's super, super duper pissed. So, anyway, he, he, he recovers for a couple of days and then he says, no, fuck this. Fuck this bear. I'm going to go and fuck this bear up. So, he goes to the gun shop and he's like, listen, give me your flippin' biggest gun that you can give me. So, they give him, like, like an elephant gun at that point. 
So it's like, what is, what is that? Uh, 700 Nitro Express. Something like that, yeah. So he takes this guy and he's got the flipping scope. He's got it all kitted out. He's got the best of the best. And he goes out and he goes looking for this bear and he's tracking and he's tracking and he comes across this bear. And he's like, fuck, now this is the shot you're going down, you bastard. And he lines up, he's got it in the crosshairs. And he takes the shot and he's like, must have gone down, must have gone down. So he goes to the spot and he checks it out and the bear's not there. Next minute he feels a tap on his shoulder and the bear says, you know what to do. <laughs> so the guy goes lumping back into town once again, pissed off, demoralized, flipping, being raped by a bear. He's pissed off. He needs to go for psych uh, psychiatry and all this sort of thing. Anyway, so he recovers. Now he's like, he, now he's in it to take this bear out. Like if it's the last thing he does. So anyway, so he goes to the gun shop and he says, listen, listen. This bear is fucking me every time I'm going to the flipping forest. And I can't take him out. Give me your biggest weapon that you have that can guarantee me that I kill this bear. I don't care if it's just blown to pieces. I want to just kill this bear. So they're like, okay, hold up. He goes to the safe and he pulls something out. And he comes there and he's like, this fucking bazooka. He's like, yeah, exactly. He's like, this thing will take that bear out, no problem. So he's like, all right, brilliant. Pays cash, no problem, no questions asked. Can I have a light to get? No questions asked. And uh, he goes in to the bush, into the into the forest. And he goes looking for this bear. And he finds the bear at this beautiful lake and he's catching salmon and he's eating salmon. He's like, this is my this is my opportunity. He's distracted. He's eating. I'm gonna get as close as I can. So he gets within like ten feet. And he takes the shot with this bazooka. And He's like, must have been a hit. Must have, that thing must be dead. So the cloud of smoke clears, and there's no bear. Next thing, next thing, next thing, he feels a tap on his shoulder, and it's the bear. And he's like, "You're not really in this for the hunting, are you?" Fuck! <laughs> 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 I fucking love, bro. <laughs> oh my god it's so funny you're not in it for the hunting are you <laughs> you're not in it for the hunting are you <laughs> oh man it's brilliant so yeah so Tim is working on his uh, the chef's knife yep uh, how do you describe that what what do you what, how, like, how are you going to describe that knife at the show because how you present a piece is very important mm. I think like, well well, this is a forged integral, mm. um, but the blade shape is more for, as I would say, slicing uh, or pull cutting. Um, it's it's wide, but it's not really that wide. It's probably... It's okay, but now what I'm saying is present this to a person who you're not going to tell about the imperfections or whatever you think about the knife. Mm. How are you going to present this knife to sell it? You're not going to be talking about the imperfections of the knife to sell it. 
Yeah. So this is this is an I would say it's on the narrower side for uh, for for a chef's knife. Some people might call it wide, but I would say it's on the narrower side. But this is more for like a slicing cut. Oh. So I would be using this mainly for for meat. You could use it for vegetables as well, um, but it's more for pull cutting. Okay. Um, but the other chef's knife that I've put the handle on today, that's that's a that's a ten seventy blade, but it's a much wider blade. Like Trenton can see the difference. But it's a it's, nice amount on that. It's, yeah, it's very. But nice. this one is 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 nice for a pinch grip. But this is more for like slicing and and, and push cutting. Sure. So you're rocking it down and pushing sure. it. Whereas this one, I'm not going to take it off the clamps now. No. Fuck that. You put that knife back where it belongs. Yeah. But this one is more for slicing, so it's like a draw cut. Mm. Mm. Um, it has got a bit of rock in the front, so you can use it to rock. Yeah. Or rock and roll. But uh, this is, and, and what I like about this one is this one is, as I said, it's a 52-100 bearing steel blade, but it has the bolster section is forge welded on uh, wrought iron. So when that etch, etches, English, English. Uh, when that etches, that's going to give a nice, like a wood grain almost okay. effect to it. And then behind that, it's a, it's a hidden tang knife. So it's got a black um, spacer and then a, a piece of copper. And then it's got, this is uh, lead wood with a brass pin in it. But that one I forged out and I waited until I got the right piece of wood for it. And yeah, it's like a project knife. Uh, yeah. Something I really wanted to make was like an integral. And I, I must admit, I'm enjoying making kitchen knives at the moment. I'm well, definitely enjoying it as well. I the, Every kitchen knife I make, I learn a lot from it. And I try to improve it every time. Now, obviously, the way to improve it quickly is to go and learn from somebody. Jack suggested mm. somebody to me who really knows. Like he was a chef, apparently. He's a South African maker. Can't remember his name. David Weir? It, it could be David David Hula. Yeah. Is it David Hula? Yeah. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. I Or Andre Krubler. It could be. I've heard of both of them. I Andre Krubler makes fucking nice chef's knives. Really? I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And he makes he makes for professional chefs. Sure. <clears throat> and the thing is, he's done the research on it. Um, yeah, so well, that's, that's... Steel selection, geometries. Sure. Uh, balance, feel, that type of 100%. thing. 100%. Yeah, no, it's... I, I definitely respect guys in the knife-making community in general. But I, I definitely respect the guys who are specifically making... Uh, you know, they're known for one thing mm. or they're known for doing one specific thing very mm. well. And I'm not saying that's the only thing they can do well. I'm just yeah. saying that they, they are specializing in a way. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at, have you seen the knives uh, Philip Dunn's bringing to the, sh to the show? Dude. Those chef's knives that he's done. That guy is insane, man. Yeah. The, the stuff insane. he's pulling off now is just fucking next level. It's man. next level. Shout out, holler, yeah, holler. But yeah, you you enjoy making the chef's knives. I am, I am. Look, I'm not saying they're the best of the best, but I do think it is a good uh, chef's knife. I'm not going to compare it to somebody who's 
specialized in chef's knives. I could learn a lot for that from that for sure. But I mean, from what I've seen of the chef's knives, like that one you made for Grant, that was a stunner. It really was a stunner. Yeah, yeah. But um, your work is definitely, it's there. Um, Thank you, Brian. Look, no knife is perfect, but I mean, your skill level since you've been with Jack is like really helped a lot. And what's nice is it's not that you're just getting the help in terms of of training and learning stuff, but um, you're actually applying it as well. So it shows that you listen and you ask the dumb questions. You have to. Yeah, um, you have to ask the, the dumb questions. You have to ask the dumb questions. I mean, like we were talking on our, on our WhatsApp group about Hamon and hardening lights. Mm. And uh, Trenton asked a question, but everybody in the group gave him shit because I think it was give, <laughs> shit, give Trenton shit day or something like that. <laughs> Look, I, I never – this is the thing about me. Whenever I, whenever I ask a question, um, it's genuine – it's for no hidden agenda. There's no preconceived – unless I do have a definite opinion on something. Mm. But when I'm trying to learn, I'm I'm just asking questions in order to learn yeah. the right ways. Mm. Like before I knew a fuller was a fuller, I could have been one of those people who thought it was a blood groove. Yeah, according to Stuart, it is a blood groove. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but a, a, a um, fuller does something quite dynamic to a blade, actually. Mm. Uh, it in does. In terms of reducing mass and uh, improving the stiffness. Yeah. Um, and looks. I mean, it, it really looks good. I mean, especially as I look down here at the Jeffrey. <laughs> that sounded so dodgy. This photo is just beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. You've done a stunning job regarding mm. the grinding. Um, I'm going to be doing a lot of the handle work on this because I just didn't feel confident enough in my grinding at this point. <clears throat> you must remember, guys, I'm still very much a beginner. Mm. Um, I don't protest to be at any kind of level. Mm. Um, so I'm, I'm still very much a beginner. So Tim has done a lot of the work regarding this. He's done the forging. He did an incredible job of forging mm. and the grinding as well. Uh, I got it heat treated at Jack. Jack did the heat treating. Uh, so shout out to you, Jack, as yeah, always. The man. Um, he's a machine. So... So, yeah, so I'm going to be doing the handles. I feel relatively confident mm. in doing a, a great job at the handle. Mm. And this is, this, is, this is not going to be a one of one. There are going to be many renditions of the Jeffrey. Right? That's the thing about the Jeffrey. It comes back. <laughs> it comes back. Stroke the furry wall. Stroke the furry wall. <laughs> I want to cover the entire house, outside of my house, this shit. <laughs> was that Kanye West? Bro, I can't remember, but he's funny. Jeez, there was a crazy... You, you have to watch the whole movie. I must. I have to. It's it's important. Because that whole movie is just like that. 
It's incredible. I want to watch that. That guy, Russell Brad, is incredibly... Russell Brand, yeah. He's incredibly wise, and he's mm. incredibly funny. And he's actually somebody that I have seen before, and I never really paid much attention to him mm. until more recently when I saw him being interviewed on Joe Rogan's podcast. And that's the thing I appreciate about Joe Rogan is he has all sorts of people from all sorts of different backgrounds on mm. the podcast, which makes it so interesting to listen to. And I saw an entirely new side of this guy that I had never seen before. A very wise, intelligent man mm. that is portrayed very differently in movies. Yeah, because so, I mean... you know, it's, it's incredible to find out about these people and find out more about them. Because some of them are extremely intelligent and they have real, real stuff to add to society. I mean, Russell, Russell's done a lot of meditation and that type of stuff. Kundalini as well. Yeah. Shout and, out to anybody who does Kundalini. I think that's extremely awesome. And uh, he's done a, a lot of research into like uh, monks or, or Buddhism and, and that type of thing. Um, but he's he's got an interesting perspective, and also he's he's a recovered or recovering drug addict, as he says. Um, I actually followed. He had a, a program on, I think the app was Commune or something about the twelve step program, and you can apply that twelve step program to just about any issue you have um, in life. Okay. Um, by working through the 12-step program, uh, you know, admitting the problem. I don't know all the steps. I can't remember. That was stored in a corrupt sect in my brain. <laughs> okay, but it sounds interesting. Yeah, but he, he has a very interesting take because he's... How do you read so many books, bro? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't get read time. It's, it's not reading. What are you doing? Audio uh, books? Audio books. Yeah. Because How do you, what do you use for audiobooks? Because I want to I wanna read some more books, but I don't always get the time to sit. Like, I get time to listen to podcasts while uh, I'm doing shit, but I haven't really ventured into the audiobooks. Uh, I, I had a subscription Audible and I stopped it because it's a little bit – oh, I say it's a little bit expensive. But um, I just at, – at the stage I stopped it, I just couldn't justify spending that money mm. on something that I wasn't really using. And I mean, sure. with Audible, once you've paid for the book, the book's yours. Lovely. So I've got quite a few books on there. I mean, I've got Jordan Peterson's book, The 12 Steps, uh, 12 Rules to Life, An Anecdote to Chaos. Mm. And um, that's a brilliant book. And then I've got The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. I must get that. That's a brilliant book. And then there's all sorts of books on there, but... With working at at denial in um, in Pretoria, and I stay in Benoni, so it's like an hour trip each way, um, or hour plus. Yeah. So what I would do is I don't have a radio in my car by choice because the radio station's all shit. <coughs> um, I don't want to hear about or some shit music that I don't appreciate. Um, so I, I started listening to audiobooks um, in that time and it's a great way to to make use of time where you can't really do anything else I mean you have sure. to drive to work 
Sure. Um, and it's the same as when you're hand sanding, when you're doing work in the garage, you can you can put an audio book on. Or you can make a podcast. Yeah, or like, you can make a podcast. Like we're doing. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's in our, our unbiased opinion, it's the best podcast out there. Well, I wouldn't say that, but I would say we are definitely heading in the right direction. I just think that it's just nice that we can we can have uh, the opportunity to talk like this and the freedom to talk like this and also have other guys on here who we very much respect in the knife-making community. But we, uh, we actually intend on having all sorts of guests from all different kinds of fields. Yeah, we're still um, waiting on the call for Joe Rogan to come on our podcast. As soon as Joe Rogan gets in touch, like, yeah. we will, uh, like, <laughs> that sounds so arrogant. Wow, why would he get in touch? Like, I've reached out to him, so... Joe Rogan, if you hear this, get in contact, man. We'd love to fly through. And I think on one of his podcasts, he even said, I'll get both fly people out. Here. I was like, okay, Joe. Okay. I'm coming, boy. I'm coming, my man. My third eye is wanting to talk. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, it's one day. One day. Yeah, one day. Hopefully. I would also, I would like to have a conversation while we're talking about people we'd like to have a conversation with. Yeah. Um, with Lex Friedman. Very cool guy. Eh? And he's he's a Russian immigrant mm. or he's Russian origin and he stays in America. He's he a, looks somewhat Jewish in a way. He I is know. Jewish. Is he? I think he is Jewish, yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but uh, he's a, a specialist in, in AI at MIT. Okay. So he's a super intelligent person, but he's got such a gentle nature, and he's he's got a he's also quite refined in in his conversation style. Um, it's it's a very different. Um, no 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 insult to mm. to Lex. No insult to mm. Lex. But the first time I came across his channel, in the mm. first couple of seconds, mm. I wasn't sure. I was also very high, so that <laughs> that is a that is a major factor. But um, it looked to me like he wasn't all there in a way. Yeah. And then when I started listening to him talk, I was just like, okay, this guy's just got a very unique way about, like, mm. um, in his way about talking, and you just got to get used to it. It's very different. It's very unique. So well, he's he, he's. He's an AI specialist, uh, mm. so he's got an engineer's type brain. Yeah. So engineers, you know, we don't have personalities. I'm an engineer. Uh, you <laughs> you always flexing about that, bro. You you <laughs> you always fucking flexing about. But that. you're like, I'm an engineer. But motherfucker. <laughs> no, the reason I flex about it is well, engineers are the shit. But, Such a weird flex. But. Uh, you know, engineers, our theory is if we needed a personality, we'd have, we would have been issued with one. <laughs> but he's very much like that. But I love the types of conversation he has with people. He's uh, very cool. He's very cool. And uh, what I've noticed lately in, in, in his, his podcast is he'll end off with a, a, a reading from something like uh, he read something from – I was listening to a podcast of his with a, a, a woman psychologist. Uh, and neuroscientist. He's he's very much in neuroscience. Yeah, squirrels. Um, but uh, 
Oh, neuroscience is another fucking wormhole to go down. But he ends it with these sayings or, or quotes from different books, which is, is rather unique. And he, he also plays guitar not very well, or he actually plays it a lot better than I can. Um, but um, I'm sure he does. I mean, but he, he even he played a, a song he wrote on Joe Rogan's podcast, which is pretty cool. He said he was freaking out about it, though. He was like super, super, super nervous. Because oh, I mean, like, goodness. Joe Rogan only has like a shit ton of followers. Yeah, <laughs> so. it is very that's a very ballsy thing to do. Respect, but the thing is, he. he I can't remember what the song was. We're going to have to look it up after this podcast. Yeah. But, you know, he... Was it an original? It was his 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 own song. Wow. Um, but it's on classical guitar. And uh, I'm, I'm half tempted to think his intro music he might even have done himself. Um, but, Joey, he's a super interesting guy. Um, Very cool. I mean, I saw him interviewed on Joe Rogan's podcast. Yeah. Because that's... At the moment, that is pretty much the the main podcast that I'm. De- I'm definitely listening to other podcasts, but that's the main podcast that I go to. But um, you know, Joe Rogan's podcast is is like Forrest Gump would say, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, that's the thing, and sometimes you don't always like what you get because mm. I lo- I always I can always listen to it. Mm. I can always listen to it, but sometimes it's just way better than other times. Mm. Because he'll, he'll, he's got the art of conversation, but some people just don't. Mm. And some of the people that he interviews don't have it. Yeah. Um, and, and, they, and it doesn't take away from their very successful or very mm. creative people or very intelligent people. It just means that they're just not great at interacting with people in terms of conversation. And that could yeah. be nerves as well. Yeah, but, it could be um, nerves. It, it could be, you know, it's just not the day or something, but... Yeah. But it, it's still interesting because you'll see, like, you'll have fucking, I don't know, you'll have a, a, a comedian on, but they'll end up talking about fucking neuroscience or about cars or... Or about drugs. Or about drugs, yeah. Most of the time. But <laughs> really, what they have to say about drugs is very compelling. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he had one of his regular guests... But actually, his first guest on when they went on to Spotify, Duncan Trussell. Duncan Trussell, that oak man. He said before he said to Jamie, like <laughs> on this podcast, he said, "Didn't I say to you that Duncan Trussell was going to be the first, yeah. um, uh, the first uh, podcast on Spotify?" Yeah. He said he wanted that to happen. Yeah. So they met. I think, if I remember correctly, the story was that they met. When Duncan Trussell was working at a comic book shop? No, the comedy store. Oh, the comedy store. Okay, yeah, he sorry. was like a – it was before he was a comedian. He was trying to get in, and Joe Rogan was already sort of a regular uh, at the comedy store. Okay. And he was like the manager come part organizer, MC type guy. He wasn't – he didn't have his – he didn't have a, a spot yet, as they call it. Who, Joe Rogan? No, no, no. Um, Duncan. Duncan, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, so, yeah. So, they met there. Mm. And they just became friends from there on. And and, and he's, like he said, he, he was a, 
a psychonaut for quite a while. And for those of you who don't know what a psychonaut is, yeah, please clarify. That is a person who uh, embarks on cosmic journeys oh, via yes. the use of psychedelics. Yes. And that's that's a really interesting thing to talk about. I think it's important. What did, what, what did I think it was Graham Hancock that said it, that the only politi- the only uh, politician he would trust is the man who would go on a on a severely life changing DMT trip a yeah. couple of times, <laughs> and only after that would he trust him. <laughs> yeah. I think all politicians should do fitness psychedelics because they're all corrupt. But we're not talking about politics. We're talking about psychedelics. We're talking about psychedelics. I think <coughs> for like, some this this it's so incredible. Like mm. psychedelics, like the whole like I mean I know a lot of people know this and so on, but I've only recently started actually learning more about this specific subject. So mm. to me. It's very, very interesting. If the human brain produces DMT. Yep. Your body knows exactly what it is. Um, I think they they either suspect or they or they have confirmed. I don't think quite confirmed. But they, I think they found it in the in the uh, pineal gland. We'll just quickly ask Jamie to, to Google that. <laughs> I wish we had a Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> slash Tim Brown <laughs> hashtag uh, Tim Brown we need to get a Jamie yeah. who wants to be a Jamie if you don't know what a Jamie is then you can just not be a Jamie for us because then we're disappointed there we go just DMT produced in the brain several speculative and yet untested hypothesis suggest that endogenous DMT is produced in the human brain and is involved in certain psychological and neurological states. DMT is naturally occurring in small amounts in the in a rat brain, mm. human cerebrospinal fluid, and other tissues of human and other mammals. So it's not, I don't know, dimethyltryptamine. Dimethyltryptamine, yes. Don't forget that, people. It's a very important herb. <laughs> yes. I think, uh, I think... Look, I don't think it's for everybody, but I think some people could uh, benefit from it from sh- for sure. You know, and it's from it's from medicinal aspects as well, and mm-hmm. growing spiritually, if you want to put it that way, and so on and so forth. A lot of people have said it's a very life changing experience, and I believe that. I mean, it, we spoke about it before, but they did a they've done they they now doing more actual medical research, and um, they're staying away from LSD because that was. You know, to get the the authorization for D for LSD because that was banned in the, the time of the the seventies. You know, the the protests against the Vietnam War and stuff. Uh huh. Um, they banned it. Sure. Although the the CIA and FBI did some some serious dodgy shit with LSD. We'll get into that. But um, <laughs> they did a study on uh, the fix of. A single psilocybin trip on on cancer patients that were diagnosed as terminally ill, and I watched a lecture where they had um, two people on that were cancer survivors that were on that actual medical trial, and 
both of them had said that it was one of the top five life experiences doing that single psilocybin trip. And the reason they studied, they did it is for the therapeutic value or the study was for the therapeutic value of trying to relieve depression or PTSD or things like that. And one of the women, the woman that they had on, she isn't a cert, I won't say certified. She, she is a self-proclaimed atheist. Um, but, yeah, but she, what she said, the only way she could really describe it was a meeting with God. And that is pretty damn trippy, if you ask me. And we've, we've talked about how it's a different level of consciousness, which could be a gateway to, to speak with a higher being, maybe. I don't know. Dude, for sure. Here's the thing. Here's the deal. And uh, just just for the record, uh, I've never done any psychedelics. I've done... You've done weed. I've done weed and I've done edible weed. Uh-huh. I much prefer the edible weed. It's great. It's a, it's, much, it's, a, it's a much different time. You know, when you can hear... When you close your eyes and you can see the beat of the music. Yes. In psychedelics. That's when you know it's a good time. Your, yeah. your body's just going, woo, yeah, fuck yeah. And, and it's, it's, with edibles, it's like, it's the sort of suddenness that, that it comes on. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it's much more intense than, than smoking. Mm. And I think it's because it gets metabolized differently in your body. Can mm. I grab my light? Mm. Thank you, Boza. But yeah, I haven't done psychedelics, but I've been doing a lot of research because I suffer from, yeah, I do suffer from depression and anxiety. So from a therapeutic aspect, that's why I am looking into psychedelics Mm. as a a possible means for treatment. I don't know. I mean, look, I think there's the, the whole thing about this. Look, here's a couple of points I wanted to make, first of all. The fact that it's produced in the body, we know it's there, mm. and we know that it's also trippy when we harvest it and use it as a drug. Yeah. The thing is, when you're <clears throat> dreaming, yeah. sometimes you live an entirely different life with people that you don't know, mm. but you do know them in the dream, and you know them very well in the dream. Mm. You know their backstory. And, mm. and sometimes, look, you don't know who the fuck the other guy is in the dream or, or whatever. Mm. But you definitely, and, and sometimes in those dreams, most times I've found personally, you cannot decipher between this is a dream or this is reality. I've, I've had that once in my life where I could say this is a dream and I could play things out <coughs> in, a, in a more defined direction. I think they've referred to that as lucid dreaming. Sure. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, the term, know the term for it is, is lucid dreaming. So there are people that get quite good at it. So you can actually sort of control your dream to a certain extent. Oh, that's cool. But I've had it once or twice, but generally I do not like dreaming. Or I do not like remembering my dreams because um, they give me anxiety. How so? Because the, they are so warped and twisted. 
that they don't yeah, actually make sense. And it depends what's going and on. Normally, when I'm in those type of dreams, I wake up and then I wake up with that anxiety. Mm. So Trent will know a little bit of background to that. So yeah, sure. Look, mm. I'm not saying. I'm just saying that. I'm not look. Obviously, people. Some people suffer from terrible nightmares. Yeah, that, that's they, it's. That, that's just my perspective, and yeah. I've also looked at doing hypnotherapy to try and. This obviously things in my past that still haunt me, or something like that. Um, I don't know exactly, but I'm open to explore different forms of therapy so to say and it is a medicine mm. it is a medicine psychedelics mm. are definitely a medicine mm. in in my opinion i don't know if that's proven medically look well it is it, it is, is proven it, it is proven medically because the thing is a simple thing like a, a cbd that most people mm. are acquainted with cbd has proven to be beneficial for people with cancer in some form or another um <laughs> And it is proven to be beneficial for things like arthritis and seizures, specifically epilepsy and things like that. Also for um, Parkinson's. And yes, yes, yes. So, and I think that CBD isn't it. It's not THC. THC is the is the psychoactive cannabinoid. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken. But I think uh, I'm, I think I'm no professional on this stuff. With uh, specifically with Parkinson's, I think it's it's a combination of both, but they have definite medi medicinal purpose uh, uh, uses. Yeah, and my theory is God wouldn't have put them here if it wasn't for a reason. Well, yeah, we can't true. always find out the reasons for certain things. Here's the deal. So if if DMT is in the brain or it's naturally produced somewhere in the body or whatever. If that is the case, there was a theory that was being discussed that it might have something to do with with dreaming, because dreams possible. can be very trippy. Yeah, it, they it's, can it, be very weird and unrealistic, and it feels like a totally like I've had very bad dreams, but I've ha mm. also had very incredible dreams mm. where I'm flying. Yeah. Those kinds of dreams are incredible, incredible. So, and and in that moment, I personally cannot decipher if this is real or not. Mm. My 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 knowledge of gravity and my knowledge of what I know to be real is not with me during that that session. You have to listen to that one Lex Friedman thing. Mm -hmm. Where he's talking to a guy about neuroplasticity. Yeah, yes. but there was a they developing uh, sort of senses or whatever, because the reality as we perceive it is only in the visible light spectrum that we can see, or in the audible spectrum we can hear, yes. or in the smells we can smell, or the things we can touch and feel. Yeah. Okay, so like your skin cannot, it doesn't got a sensor on it for water. So the way we feel water is by temperature and the way it moves on the skin or something like that. 
Okay. So that's why you can tell the difference between rain and snow and sure. uh, hot rain or hot water or things mm. like that. Okay. But now he, they developed the sensor that could see sort of in the, I think he wore it on his hands or something that you could, it can pick up infrared. Okay. And this is the company he, he, he runs or he owns. Um, and he was walking with it at night, pitch dark, and he started to feel warm, which was the sensor saying it was picking up uh, infrared. So he followed it with his hands and he came to an, uh, one of those CCTV cameras that's got an infrared light on it so you can see in the dark. So he was able to see the camera. He found the camera by using that sensor. And they've used, they, they want to develop these type of sensors for people who say can't see or can't hear so that they can use a different form of uh, circuitry in the brain to interpret that sense. So if it's audible, uh, they can use that sort of sensor via another channel in the brain to hear what's going on around them. What? Yes, that's why he's doing it, and oh, that has to do with wow. that has to do with neuroplasticity, where our brains are continually. It's not like a computer where everything's hardwired. It's continuously building circuits in the brain. So you get some smart people out there. Eh? Whoever like, this guy is, he must be very smart. But like like people with uh, Alzheimer's, there's, there's studies that have shown that there's old people that are extremely mentally active that don't so show the clinical signs of Alzheimer's because their brain is conditioned to continuously building new neural pathways that when a part of the brain gets destroyed by the Alzheimer's or whatever or gets disrupted, it's already building another path. So they don't actually suffer from the... So what you're saying is the more mentally active you stay, theoretically the chances are that you will not develop severe, severe crippling Alzheimer's. Yeah, that's what they're saying. Theoretically. Theoretically, yeah. Mm. But that, that's why they're studying the brain. That's why he's... This guy doesn't think there's really a market or... Like uh, Neuralink that Elon Musk is working on, where they're going to put electrodes yes. in your brain to get community. He says yes. he doesn't think you can really get the brain to work that much faster by it, but he can see the benefit to it helping people who. To hear and to see. To hear and to see, or if they've got brain damage or something in a certain part of their brain that they can put things in to, to try and. That's um, a symbiosis of machine and. Yeah. Brain. That's crazy. It's already happening. Hearing aids. Hearing aids. Yeah, pa like a hot, uh, uh, pacemakers. Mm. Fucking uh, things to measure your, your sugar levels in your blood. Yeah. But like you said, the cochlear implants that they use. Um, the cochlear implant doesn't speak brain language. It speaks Silicon Valley language. What? Like like the, the way it communicates with the body is in a language that's developed in, where they do computers and shit. But your brain is that adaptive that 
with that implant in, it can now interpret the information coming from the the implant into a sound, into a type of sound. So your brain actually learns very quickly how to use that information to get the hearing. Crazy mm. shit. Crazy shit. It's yeah, just mind-boggling. It's, it's, it's going to take some training, I should imagine. Look, I don't know mm. all the ins and outs, but you're going to have to learn how to use that sense. Yeah. It will it's like take if, so, some sort of level of spe- of of hearing therapy, if you mm. will, um, for people who, who have hearing impairments and, and they're deaf and things like that. But he says that that's one of the reasons why the human race or whatever has survived so long is because we are so adaptable in terms of our brains. Our brains are some of the most adaptable there are. Very true. Very true. And he he says also that is why because of um, you would think that in order to survive you would need to be very good at a whole lot of very specific tasks. But because of nature, everything's changing the whole time. Mm-hmm. So in order to survive, you actually need to be very adaptive yes, to very changing good. situations. Sure. And you also need a, a sort of diversity. So like when something like COVID comes around, he says yeah. one of the things that, that COVID has shown is that it only really affects a small portion of the population really badly. Mm. And... If you've got that variety and that adaptability, so like some people's immune systems are better at adapting to certain situations than mm. other situations. Um, and that's why they get such different things with the COVID virus. Sure. So yeah. the, the, the adaptability of, our, of humans and our, our brains and our bodies and stuff is actually pretty fucking impressive. It's very cool for sure. It is very cool. I mean, um, we, we've populated just about the whole fucking earth. Yeah, we've also almost destroyed it. Yeah, we've pulled it through our ass. We're very fucking primitive in that sense. Like, man has advanced to so many degrees of intelligence and made technological advances mm. that are incredible. Mm. But we're killing the thing that we're living on. Yeah, we're like a cancer. It's not, this is not sustainable. Mm. We cannot go blindly through this knowing, knowing through science that we have developed and we've understood and so on and so forth, knowing that we are affecting our own environments in a negative way and we're not there. Yes, there are definitely people who are trying to help and there are charities towards certain things and, and, and that all helps very much, but it needs to be taken more seriously but i think there's there's if you've got people like elon musk who's like he's a brilliant business person Mm. he is now wealthier than bill gates apparently (laughs) he's a south african boy isn't he he's from pretoria i believe he spent some time i think his parents are from pretoria or but he's he grew up in pretoria and in um canada and then obviously in america very smart man. He's a very smart man, but he's driven by good intentions. So yes, 
the whole he's a weird cat though he's a weird cat I'd hate I'd, weird cat. I would love to peer into his mind for like a short period and then I'd get overload he's he's like you can see he's extremely intelligent mm. but the way he interacts with people mm. is very unique and it's very calculated and mm. it's very methodical mm. he doesn't um he doesn't oh I've never seen him oh um but he gives a very thought out answer yeah. he won't just say something for saying it he he's like Jordan Peterson they will think a lot before they actually say something yes and what I like about him is that his intentions are he's got good intentions so he's not there to make billions of dollars obviously that's a side effect but his whole vision with like Tesla is you know we've got all this advances in technology but yet we're still burning fossil fuels mm. you know fueling them around to carbon dioxide in the air or sure. carbon monoxide putting other pollutants into the air it's not good for the environment yet we have all these other resources that are cleaner yes um and better for the environment yes it's it's very primitive but mm-hmm. the thing is the industry is mm-hmm. so massive surrounding oil and mm. fossil fuel and all of these things i don't know a hell of a lot about this stuff but i know that it's that it's a massive industry it is a and massive industry and and the thing is it's it's sort of it had its place in in, in civilization in the development of civilization for but sure but we need to we need to be stop stop being driven by the dollar and start you know looking at things to solve that are going to make life on the planet better for everybody or for a large a larger portion and that's also going to be more sustainable that's so my rap bro that's that's what I'm that's what I'm all about that's like, and that's that's a big part of the reason that I went to to and got involved with anti poaching mm. is I wanted to contribute to that as much as I could yeah and it's and I respect the guys who do anti poaching um my friend Justin from Sale awesome guy um really really good friend of mine and he did anti-poaching for a couple of years very dedicated living a simple life trying to maintain a, a relationship with his fiance at that point um they're now married congratulations my bro Dummy. um <laughs> he's really happy and i'm so glad for him because he's such a good guy and when we need more guys out there in the field to help with these situations and i know there's a lot of guys doing it and big respect to anybody who's doing that mm. um i've got a couple of the guys on instagram that interact with me regularly and they're still out there mm. they're still out there they're operating yeah and i mean i've seen um some like retired uh ex-military from the states mm-hmm. um i don't know if they were seals or green berets or rangers or delt force or but they they quite a few of them are special ops mm-hmm. and um they actually come here and they do training for anti poaching okay so in in terms of the weapons and tactics 
because you, we, we, you know, the thing that's changed is it's not, you know, it's becoming more advanced. Mm. They've got better weaponry. You can't send a, a guy out into the field to go try and prevent poaching with a, like a hunting rifle. Sure. Not when the other guys are armed with AKs and... They are. They are aimed and, with, uh, and a lot of them have AKs. a military background. Um, and I think it's... It, the main cause of it, actually, uh, in terms of the, the poachers on the ground, is that the, the, the poverty levels in Africa... Yeah, that, for sure. That, that people are trying to provide for their their families, and because of the, the, the our wonderful government systems that are just making it worse for the general people, except for the you know the political elites, that some of these people they just don't have an option. And yeah. that's, I'm talking about the people on the ground, but they are obviously fueled by a market, which is corrupt in my opinion you've look you've got you've got two types of poachers mm. they're both bastards right but the thing is you get one of them who's doing it for a more genuine reason than the mm. other and the difference is there is a man out there who is genuinely trying to provide for his family. Mm. And I don't care who you are. If you're in that level of poverty and you're trying to provide for your children mm. and you know a skill that could provide you with food, you will go mm. and put snares out in hope of, of stopping the hungry cry, uh, crying child. Yes. You're going to do that. I don't care who you are. Human parently instinct will force you to do that. So you get those guys out there. And I'm not justifying the fact that they do it. I'm just saying you can understand from that perspective that it that it's it's something that people do to in a in a more genuine way than the guys who are doing it as a market. There's definitely a market for the bush meat. It's an illegal bush meat trade. But so, it's not you know the bush meat trade is is <clears throat> it's it's responsible for a lot of disease in Africa. If you look at Ebola, mm. that's that comes from bushmeat. But for me, the thing of like um, rhinos and elephants and yeah, no, absolutely, I don't. Weeds, agree it's with not even for. I don't agree with poaching at all. But I'm just yeah. saying that is just. It's totally driven by money mm. and superstitions. And all sorts of things. I mean, mm. I think the, the Siberian tiger was was being poached at one point for their hides. Yep, and they virtually extinct. It's crazy, and it's such a big, beautiful animal. Mm. Such a majestic animal. And, and also they're I killing these things for their skins. It's not just their skins. I think they use the bones for some... Yes, there's something like that too. I can't remember what it's for. Apparently... There's also a big market for lion bones, yeah. Because the the market for tiger bones is, or the market is much bigger than the supply. Trent, can you just uh, check in the top drawer for a yeah. roll of insulation tape, please? Yes, sir. So. Because I need to protect my finger. Oh, you need to protect your finger. Yeah, this one over here, it nicks on the edge. Oh, flip. Yeah, because my one's shorter than yours. Yeah. That's what she said. What? No. <laughs> Why would she say that? 
It's so gross. <laughs> We're not going to go into that that type of conversation. Not too. right now. No. Yeah. Try to keep this a little bit clean, just a little bit. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm still on three twenty grit. I've been trying to take out these. I haven't ground this knife up very high through the grits. Mm. I've gone up to oh man, I was I think I finished this on one eighty. Mm. Um, so now I'm trying to take all the scratches out in the opposite direction, and I'm trying to take my time about doing it because it's worth doing right the first time. Guys. Yeah, there's no grid and switching grits until you got all the scratches. You've out. got to get them all out. That's why I have my ten year old eyes. Yes. Because I can't see this fucking close to me. My arms and, are too and, short. And something Jack taught me is alternate directions between grits mm. so that you can get all the previous grip marks out. Yeah, that's why you see when I start on, on 320, I go the length of the blade. Um, yeah. And then you when go I go 400 opposite way. In the 400, I go diagonally across. Yes. And then I'll go to 600 length of the blade. Then 800 diagonally across, and then a thousand grit is where I stop because mm. my eyes. You're not a I'm not a maskist, and my eyes can't see. My eyes can't see past a thousand grit. Although, you know, that, that kitchen knife, the one with the mount on it, I might actually. I think it's worth it, bro. I think it's worth it. Seems it's up. very quick once you get all the scratches out. No, I know from it's very quick bro. from eight like from six from six hundred to eight hundred is really quick. Yeah, eight hundred to a thousand is also really quick. So I would assume the other grits are also pretty good. Jack spent twelve hours hand sand. No, sixteen hours. Sorry, I think I think he said it was sixteen hours. Um, hand sanding that Spanish kitchen salt that he made. That thing is beautiful. Stunning. You know what I want to Stunning. You know what I really want to do it, Jack? Besides a whole lot of other shit. Please tell me. Is um, this dagger that I've got here. Yeah. With the small hollows on it. Yes. I want to finish that up to a nice high grit. And then when I go to Jack and I want to hot blue it in that thing he made for his kiln. That yeah. thing is just, you know, that's that's Jack's brain, you know. Normally what the people do when they do hot bluing is they get uh, a nice stainless steel pot and they get a gas burner and they get a, a, a thermometer that you use for um, frying chips or whatever. They can go up to like 180 because I think the ideal temperature is like 150 odd. I don't know the number exactly, but you need to be within say plus or minus five degrees of that and the boiling point of your liquid has to be right to get to that temperature otherwise your chemical balance isn't quite right that's why you saw when you did the first time at on that test piece mm. it was still a bit brown and you added some salt beet and some caustic soda salt beet and caustic soda yeah wow okay to get the the caustic soda to raise the boiling temp to the to the right temperature Mm-hmm. And then the caustic soda, uh, the the, the saltpeter, just to get the color a bit better. Okay. And like the saltpeter was used um, in in um, in gunpowder, wasn't it? In black powder, yeah. In black powder, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, but he built a tank that he fits into his electric kill, which yes. is like 
the ideal thing because it's got flipping precise temperature control. Yes. Yeah, it's very cool. He makes all sorts of tools for all sorts of jobs. He's very intelligent. And but it's not just he's not like me. I, I make something to get a job done. You know, Jack goes and makes things to last a lifetime. Which is what I should more be looking at. If, if I have to be well, honest. It depends on the purpose of the item that you make. But I mean, like the taps, he, he made taps for his fucking water system. Yes. Why? Because he can. Yes. He has the skill to do it. Yes. But I see, you know, when, when you watch him use that water system, and it's got three taps, so if you're using a wide belt, you can run all three, or you can run the middle one a bit more than you got that setting. Got all the settings right there, yeah. And it's just a gravity feed, and that's mm. what I what I put on my. Originally, I had a pump on my uh, water system. Yeah, that you stole from someone's bloody. Uh, it looked like one of those things from a. What do they uh, uh, when they do the blood cleaning uh, you know, dialysis machine? Yeah, <laughs> it looked like one of those pumps. There was a body that was supposed to go with that. No, didn't we bury it? Yeah, I think we did. Can't remember where. Which are. Anyway, what were we talking about? I'm so high. Jack and his machines. Yes, Jack the and way his he machines. makes makes things. Dude, the man is just talented. If you can go and visit Jack, you should go and do that because he's a very intelligent man and he he can tell you almost anything about almost anything. And the thing is, if he doesn't know something, he'll he'll be able to tell you who to go to. Yeah. Which is far better than someone telling you things they don't know shit about, and then you go and waste time on it. Sure. Because time is, is, is the one thing we cannot replace. You can't. You can't. That's why you have to be so wise about using it. Like, I'm definitely trying to be more conscious about how much the time I spend on Instagram and Facebook and WhatsApp and all these different social media. That's why I don't want to be on TikTok anymore. That's why I don't want to be on on uh, all these other places anymore. But I realize at the same time that it is beneficial for business. Yeah, but you have to... You, you have, have to be so careful because you get sucked down into this rabbit hole of social media. You scroll a little bit, scroll a little bit, scroll a little bit. Yeah, Ooh, one more video, one more video. That's the thing. And the, the what I look, I don't know anything about algorithms, but, but what I heard was that there is a tendency for like social media platforms showing you what they've calculated to be the most likely thing for you to stay there longer, to show you yeah. something that is going to keep you there longer. Yeah, because they're trying to sell advertising time. Yeah, that's that's one of um, you know, the problem with that people have with Twitter, you know, is it's it's just one big fucking argument, you know, that gets all the attention instead of um. People having meaningful discussions or whatever just comes down to slander, and, you know. And no. it's it's almost like the most contentious stuff gets promoted the most, or the one that wants to 
that follows the the narrative the the um the the left versus the right or, or the narrative that they want to pursue should we say so like very intelligently put the whole US election thing you know all these fact checkers that you can't put shit out there that is not true so they got these fact checkers who don't know shit <laughs> I saw a post oh, wow. there's, there's a guy um, for anybody who does that job they must be like fuck you you know it's like this guy posted a picture of, you know, the, the guy's laughing in a bar and there's, there's, he says there's two types of reactions I get to, to my sense of humor. And the one is these two guys fucking laughing their heads off and the other one's a picture, a picture of Mark Zuckerberg, 30-day ban. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that is just so prime for the social media stuff. Brilliant. Because I mean, yeah, we're not going to go into that rabbit hole. Because that's that's just it doesn't do anything. Let's talk about knives. Let's talk about knives, man. Let's talk about bushcraft. How about that? Yeah. How about that for a change? We were actually discussing earlier while we were hand sanding. One of my customers, Raiden. Great guy. Shout out. That oak has done me such huge favors in terms of marketing you won't believe um but i, w- I was saying to trenton i would love to because he's quite into bushcraft mm. i mean <laughs> i may I, I modified an axe for him and i put a hole in hole in the in the axe head and trent's like what the fuck is that hole for it's a, it's a tactical hole <laughs> <laughs> yeah look for me i don't really see a point in putting a hole in an axe this mm. so you can hang s- it up yeah, no, fuck that. But um, but, but but here's the thing. Mm. He's a very smart young man, and mm. he's very fit and he's very talented, and he loves bushcraft, and we that's for the reason why we get on. And and what I you know what I like about his he's got a good eye for a camera, eh? For sure. And um, I just like to go out because he. I think he stays on a on a plot or a small holding or a farm or something. Yeah, like something that. like that. Out in Machalis, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I just like to go there and spend some time in the bush, but like primitive caveman style. Yeah. Maybe take a tent. I don't and know. he would be so keen for that. Mm. He would be so keen for that. Look, we may have to eat fucking hardy dogs. Yeah, I can give you guys a little bushcrafting course. Yeah. That would be cool. How well, not to cut your finger off? We'll just like make a friction fire together, do some cool stuff. I still have to do a friction fire, although I I did get the flint, the flint and steel right on our camping weekend. You know how just that feels. I'm sure you know, but yeah, it's it's always a gratifying thing to do. I saw a a post where uh, this teacher's Asked this guy, well, what is he? Or someone asked this guy, what does he do in his spare time? And he says, yeah, I know he he. But he was like jerk off. No, <laughs> no, but he said like he, he he likes to, or he's taking violin or guitar lessons, and okay. he's doing this and doing that. And he said, oh, that's that's really good. And the guy says, well, I'm not really good at any of them. Okay. And the guy says, well, that's not the point. 
the point is not to be good at something or the point is not only just to be it's to do something that you enjoy so even if say you are a knife maker but your capability is only to make shitty knives but you enjoy it <laughs> you know that is the that is the most important thing that you enjoy what you're doing sure Sure, um, I agree with that. And that's that comes as long as you're not ignorant to the fact that you make shit knives. Yeah, I mean, if you if you you should you should definitely be open to other people telling you that, and mm. you should realize the fact that you should improve. Yeah, but, but yeah, you, if that's what you're capable of that of of yeah. at that point, there's nothing wrong in doing it. And I mean, if you if you are honestly trying and and trying your best and trying to improve, absolutely. What more is there to do? It's that's that. Um, and and taking this into consideration as well, that look, some guys are genuinely very interested in this stuff, and they have a lot of book knowledge on it. Um, but they just sometimes caught up in a situation where they don't know the right people to go and learn. Mm-hmm. They don't, um, you know, there could be a knife maker like five minutes down the road from them, and they would never know. Yeah. Um, but the point is here that they also might be in a situation where they've got a job, they've got a family they need to provide for. They can't do it full time, so they've got very little time that they can actually spend on the subject that they would love to pursue as a full time job. Mm. There's lots of guys who get past that, so it's not like it's an excuse, it's just that it's hard for some people. Mm. Circumstances are not the same for everybody, and some people have more opportunity, some people have more willpower. Yes. The same I, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I mean, if I just look at um, when I played soccer or football, as my friend Darren would say, because he's an Englishman, um, the manager coach for the premier side, he had two sons. Okay. One of them... Matthew, the oldest, he was um, he was born clubfoot. Okay. So his dad never really paid because he wanted to write his son to be the next fucking Maradona or whatever the fuck. So he never paid much. He didn't put as much effort into Matthew as he did into Andrew. And Andrew was a super talented fucking football player. He just wasn't interested in it. He only did it because his father wanted him to do it, basically. Mm-hmm. Whereas Matthew, you know, he would be at all the practices. He would try his best. And he had limited skill. Um, he, he was actually a goalkeeper. Um, he used to be the goalkeeper for the reserves that I played for in the, in the third side, because the, the drinking side. <clears throat> is that where they go for drinks? Yeah, the third side is the, the cheese and wine side. You know? Okay. You, the only reason they play football is so that they can drink afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> but, Sounds like a good enough reason to me. But um, that is the thing, is that his father never gave him the recognition. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had the opportunity, which he took, to go and... Uh, he went and he trained with one of the, the pro clubs here with one of their junior sides in, in Kauteng. I can't remember who it was. Okay. Um, but he just, 
because he's white, he never really got any further in it. Um, but his father was always more interested in in his brother's ability because he was more talented, but he just wasn't interested. Sure. So even if you if you're interested and you want to do something, you can progress more than someone who's got natural talent. Okay. If you're willing to put the effort in. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people have definitely got, um, you know, success does come in various aspects. Mm. Some people genuinely work very, very hard to be successful, mm. for sure. And there's lots of people that are very respectable because they've worked hard for their money. Yeah. And they've, they've done all the work to get to the point. Mm. So, like, that's why it's it's so ridiculous for people to get jealous about somebody else being able to live a seemingly to you a better life, whether it's material things or if that person has worked hard to get there, that's totally their right to use their money the way they want to. Mm. Look, if they're being a dick about it, then yeah. that's a different story. Yeah, if they've got a Porsche with fuck the poor on the number plate, I mean... Yeah, yeah, that that's that's not cool. Mm. But like, yeah. Anyway, the point is, there's lots of different reasons for success. There's mm. also people who just get handed a silver plate, mm. right? Handed life on a silver plate. There are those people. It's undeniable. And sometimes, but that's not to take away from the people who have worked hard for it. And sometimes the people who get given the silver plate carry it onto a gold plate and other times they just drop it yes so and sometimes that silver platter gets passed around by that person yeah but um yeah talking about silver platters john the baptist hectic john the baptist you remember that no in the bible dude Look, you must remember that I didn't really study the Bible. Oh, come on, bro. It's an interesting book. John. So, John the Baptist, right? Yeah. So, he was uh, imprisoned. I can't remember all the details of mm. who was the king and what, what, what. I can't remember all those details. But anyway, this uh, John the Baptist was imprisoned for... Uh, what he was uh, for his beliefs for his beliefs basically and uh, this so the king or whatever he was they were having this feast and uh, the king's wife's daughter danced so well for the king that he called her over and said to to her Ask me for anything, I'll give you to up my heart a third of my kingdom or something like that. So ask me for anything. And she says to her mother, What should I ask for? And so she says, Ask for the head of John the Baptist on a silver platter. Wow, okay. And that yeah, that's that's how John the Baptist died, according to the Gospels. I didn't know that. Didn't you know that? No, because I, as I said, I was never, my parents were never religious, although okay. they are now. 
Um, I went to church a little bit when I was in high school and stuff like that. Yeah. But I never felt like... It, to me, it was a, a bit of a hypocrisy. The church sure. itself, not the book. And I didn't feel welcome because, I mean, I was... I've always sort of been an outsider, a nerd at school, because I went to a technical school. Not that I suppose I'm. It's semi-intelligent, um, but I never felt like I was part of the group, so I drifted away from the church. Yeah, um, I think a lot of people can relate to that in a way. Look, I think church is not necessarily good or bad. I think it is. It, it definitely works for some people. But and I think that the church d- depends on the on its uh, commune or its community and how they are or how they sure, live. Sure, but that also depends on how dedicated each individual person that makes mm. up the congregation is toward the religion. So, yeah. so you you always have hypocrites, mm. always, no matter in what religious denomination you're in. There's always going to be very good ones and guys who are living and girls who are living a, an entirely different life. Yeah, and well, that was very much the case with me. Mm. That's what it's, happened to me. And I saw it at, at the church I went to when I was in high school. Make a short bit of noise, it shouldn't be too much noise. But the point of the stick is bothering me. So we pause right here, we'll just pause in conversation. And we are back. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's one of the reasons, that's why I never really studied the Bible. I would like to, I just, you know, it's that, that time excuse. And I'm... When I was about... Uh, how old was I? When I was about 12, I had already read through the book of Genesis. Okay. Well. Um, my plan was to get through the entire Bible, which I have with the congregation we would do mm. we would read scriptures mm. the we would have like so we'd start at the beginning of the year in like mm. uh, genesis and then we, we work through the bible the entire year mm. and and go through the whole meaning behind the scripture interpreting mm. the scripture and the whole basis of it is letting scripture interpret scripture mm. so and interpreting it correctly because and, and everybody interprets the bible differently and, mm. and that's of course open to discussion depending on how you look at it and so on but yeah that's what i was part of for for the longest time in my life and uh, we i got to appreciate the wisdom in the bible yeah. there's a lot of fucked up shit that happens in the bible and very mm. very traumatic things and and things that make people think yeah sure that's a loving god why would he let this happen so i i get when people say that but, but you, know, there's, you can't deny that there is a lot of wisdom in the bible as well the thing is as well you know a lot of times it's supposed to be a loving way caring god um 
because they don't see the whole picture. So I still believe things happen for a reason, whatever reason it may be. And sometimes you can never. Is my lovely. You you can't really know the full reason. How do you mean? Like, say something bad happens. Yeah. Um. Oh, why did it happen to me? It was this in God's plan or or someone's plan. But you don't know. It's like it's like David Goggins says is that. You know, nothing great ever came without suffering. So you have to question, you know, if you question why things happen, it's a natural human thing to do. But some sometimes you need to stop questioning the why and start looking at what, where can this lead me? You know, what? how can I use this to my advantage or learn from something or... Um, maybe it helps you overcome a fear or uh, makes you a stronger person or to deal with something else that's going to come along later in life. You, you don't know. Well, this is the thing. You don't know. And there's obviously a lot of fucked up shit that happens to people that I am very sad about that it happens in the world. Um, but the point here is, uh, and I think the point you're trying to make, Tim, Mm-hmm. is that, and I think we're both very much on board with this point, is that life is going to hand you negative and positive situations. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's negative most of the time. And I'm not saying most of the time. Sometimes you get portions in your life where a lot of negative things happen. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, it's it's going to happen. It's we, We're going to have those times. There's... There's, it's not always going to be just happy days. Mm. There are going to be those bad times. So you've got to say, right, what can I do about this situation to rectify it or to – is it something I can control? If you can't control it, it's happening. So what do you need to be cognizant of in mm. that moment? What can you do and how can you ride this wave to learn something from it or to benefit from it? For future reference. I mean, if you look, you look at the book that was written. I think it was Sol Solzhenitsyn um, about the Gulag Archipelago. Uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Peterson talks a lot about this because he's researched it a lot. Um, but this guy got put in the Soviet Gulags, and he questioned him. He, he questioned himself on. What had he done? Because he was he was like a phil- philosophical thinker. Um, we struggle with that word, by the way. Yeah, and I'm not even pissed. <laughs> so if I can say it, then you know I'm pissed or hot. <laughs> but um, he definitely he questioned um, why would he be there? What did he do? And then he thought back through his life because he was a he was a communist party member and blah de blah and then he realized he had supported the communist so he had made a choice to support the communist system in a form by being a a, a, a communist me- party member or whatever mm-hmm. so 
the fact that he ended up in the gulags was partly his own doing. Oh, shit. And I think there was another a, a guy who was in, in the Jewish concentration camps, and he, he survived through it. And um, he... I don't know. If the, I don't know the true story, but the the guy said, if "You don't sit- know the true story. Don't tell us." <laughs> okay, I went to look. If it, I don't know where he came from, but he said he was in a shit place, and he said, "If this is just fate, then the world is a horrible place." So I must have done something, or contributed to me ending up in this position. So I had some control in it. Yeah. And he made peace with that, and he thought, well, if I have control of getting here, then I can have control of getting out of here by making the right choices or being in the right mental framework to endure the suffering. Sure. Absolutely. People have to understand, look, I'm not saying it's going to work for everybody, but... Look, I do think it can work for everybody, but it is also circumstantial. Mm. You know, and and we've spoken about that before in terms of depression and things like that. Mm. But, you know, some people are strong mentally. Mm. And maybe they are gifted with this very strong personality from, or a very strong mental mindset from a very early age or they've mm. learned it over time or whatever it is, but they, they are looking at things objectively and they're trying to understand what can I learn from this to benefit from it? Because looking at life always in a negative way, you will mm. only ever see negative things. Yeah. And you will miss the positive things and the opportunities to change that situation. Absolutely. So it, it's imperative, and I know it sounds incredibly cliche. I know that. But the point here is that it is the flippant truth. In my opinion, it is the truth. Yeah. <clears throat> You know what, Trenton, what I really think? What do you really think, Tim? I want to know. We are now sitting at 20, 35 minutes past 12. Good heavens. I think it's time we stop hand-sanding. And let's have some conversation. You want to stop hand-sanding now? Yeah. I, I was mean, just going to go to 400. Well, you can go to 400, but I think I'm going to stop on... I'm on 600. But my blade was... Done on the grinder to a higher finish, so that's why I'm further ahead. Are you only one side? I only need one side, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to wait for tomorrow then. Yeah. Fuck. But you got you got the two twenty, the three twenty, which is the most difficult part done. Well, it's only on one side though. Yeah, but I'm also only on one side. Okay. Well, we'll do the rest tomorrow then. I'm keen for a lack of combo. Because then what we can do to make your life a little bit easier is you can slap the gator belts on there. Oh, yes. Lovely. And we can take it to a high finish. Yes. That's I've only great. got the A45, which is like a 320 grit. Okay. And then I've got a, a 800 grit um, synthetic cork belt. And then I've got a Trizac uh, 1200. So... 
we can slap it quickly through those grits. Yeah. And then just get it to a better finish so that you don't have to, you know, end up at Brooklyn Knife Show with no index fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, excuse us, guys, while we talk about <laughs> these projects that we are facing at the moment. But, uh, yeah, it's, I think that'll be a good plan for tomorrow then. Yeah. Because this, this side is done. <clears throat> that finish over there on the spine, mm -hmm. is that is that respectable, would you say, or would you take that out? It's almost like a texture. It, I would leave it in. Leave it in, yeah. yeah. I, w I would leave it in, to okay. be honest. Because uh, it's such a thin, yeah. and, and it, it, it doesn't detract from the knife. You know, sometimes you ha it looks unfinished, but that looks like you've taken it up quite high, but you want it to leave some sort of semi-rustic. Yeah. And that's cool. I, I dig it. That's like we're doing on the yeah behind the, the, the fuller here and on the Ricasso of the Jeffrey. Yeah. That magnificent knife that we designed together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it looks all right, hey? I'm just trying to see. My eyes are, are not the best. I think there's something there. I can't see it too great at this point. That's why I was excited to go to 400. But this edge is nice and thin. This is going to be a slicer. It's, yeah, it's nice and thin. Yeah. I, like I ground that one by myself. I like by this. Myself. I like this shape. It's not... I wouldn't, it's not my style. Mm. Yeah, it's definitely not your style. It's but it's similar, some things are similar to my style, like mm. like the the, the yes. index here. Yes. And I put a little bit of a, a different angle on that heel, though. Yeah. You I like that. that. I like that. And I like I like that it's got a clip point, you know? Yeah. It's like, if you, if you know, um, that guy in Hawaii that's, that makes knives, uh, yes. RPM Neil. Yes. I, I can't pronounce his name. So I, I can't remember. I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. But the chef's knives he makes. He makes crazy. Like, they look like choppers. They're crazy. They look like choppers, but they're yeah. so, the, the back section, like the spine, looks like almost like, because he has, you know, um, what do they call it? A, 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 a fucking harpoon tip. Yes. On, the, on, the, yes. on the front or yes. false edge. He puts a false edge on a fucking chef's knife. That's beautiful. But I, I inspire that shit like that's brilliant. But I love I love the angles he's got on his knives. Mm. So they they're almost like quite triangular in shape. Mm. Um, he's this, got a definite style to him for but sure. But I, I love his work. Beautiful and, work. Beautiful. And the thing is, his his young son has had an influence on him, and he said. Uh, uh, what's it? Because he like you do cut tests with like bottles, you know, cutting bottles and shit. Yeah. And then his son said to him, "Yeah, well, you know, this plastic isn't really great for the environment. I mean, they stay in Hawaii, so it's it's ocean environment, and the bottles are not, you know, it's got to go somewhere. So then he changed what he what he cuts up. So now he'll cut like um, the insides from a, a toilet roll. Yeah. Or a, a, a Kitchen towel, that, that mm -hmm. cardboard, which is environmentally friendly. He'll do cuts on that or cuts, cuts on, cuts, cuts on. 
I heard that. I was like, let it go. Let no, it go. fuck that, man. <laughs> you got to let the sea word in every now and then. <laughs> but he'll cut hemp rope or mm. he's got different things that he cuts to yeah. show it, it cutting. And he's, he's I, very cool. He's a very cool guy. And interesting, he also suffers from, from depression. Really? Mm-hmm. Does he? He's, he's, he's been down the suicide, suicidal path. Oh, man. Yeah. He's got an eccentric style to him. Yeah. Very, very cool. But he, he gets on very well with a guy from Mizumi Fire Arts. They were both on Fortune Fire, both of them. Um, Have you checked out Stephen Bryan? Sorry, I just... Stephen Bryan. Stephen Bryan. He's such a cool dude. No, I've never heard of him. Stephen Bryan. Dude, Jason Knight knows the guy. Okay. Stephen Bryan. And if... If, if Ste- I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think it is Stephen Bryan. And if, if Jason Knight can say, Sis. <laughs> Sis, man. <laughs> so, so I've, I've, I've spoken over the phone to... Uh, um, who... I just mentioned... Jason name. Knight. No. Steve. Uh, Dave. David, what? I just said his name now, the guy I was talking about. David Bryan? Stephen Bryan. Stephen Bryan. Stephen Bryan, sorry. I totally forgot his name there for a second. But uh, I I got to talk to him over the phone. He's a very cool dude. Very cool dude. And he makes beautiful knives. Okay. How How did you come across him? Bro, I went into a hashtag... About knife making. Okay. And I saw a whole bunch of comments about this one picture, and I and I, and, and I got in contact with all of these people. Some of them I went into their page and saw other guys that they were following and stuff that they reposted. And I sent all these guys messages and I said, "Really cool work," but individual messages, not not fucking generic, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and I got in touch with a lot of them and I spoke to a lot of them and they're great guys. I'm not, you're going to have to. I've spoken to, remember Alex Steele's old apprentice, the guy from. Bull, Bull Blades. Yeah, Bull Blades. I've spoken to him over the phone a couple of oh, times. Oh, really cool, man. I've, he's I've awesome. Checked, he's I've checked awesome out dude. some of his work. He's also an Alec, but he's an yeah. Alec. He's not an Alex. Yes. I think, yeah. He's a Frenchman. I'm not sure, but he's a very cool dude. I've mm. spoken to him a couple of times over the phone. Very encouraging guy, very mm. humble man, great dude, great mm. dude. He's making killer knives, dude. Killer yeah, he's, knives. he's also he's got his own unique style. He's got his very unique style, mm. and he's such a cool dude. And he's yeah. it's definitely an inspiration. And mm. and Alex did such a solid there for the guy. I mean, they mm. they obviously he helped a lot during this process, mm. and but it was such a kickoff for this guy. Yeah. He's very talented. Yeah. And uh, and and big shout out to that guy. I mean, yeah, well, he's incredible. This is a this is a total shout out and love uh, <laughs> podcast. There's there's quite a few shout well, outs in there. If if since it's Alex Steele's now, do you know he's back in England? I believe he was going there or something. Yeah, he's back in England because uh, both him and his wife, because they got married this year. Or... But isn't the workshop in the US? Yeah, but him what? and his wife are both from Europe. So I don't know where she's from because he, he doesn't talk. He doesn't want to put her in the public. I don't scene. blame him. I don't blame him. But um, yeah. they both their families are in, in England and Europe. Yeah. So with the COVID and not being able to see their family, oh um, right. He wanted. They wanted. They had opportunity to go back, 
So they're there for a few months. Um, so what is, I think he's in, he's, he should be out of quarantine now. I think he is, but he had to go into like quarantine for two weeks. Um, that's crazy. And his, his dog went with him, which is so cool. Oh, that dog. What's his name? Um, oh man. I don't even know, but, um, he's setting up a shop now in the UK so that he, because the guys are still carrying on in, in the States. Uh, yeah, the shop's he's got going a on. team there. He's done so well for himself. And uh, he's he wants to set up a shop in the UK so that when uh, they go to that side, he can go there for like a, two or three months and still work while he's in England, in England visiting the family and stuff. And then they can go back to the, So they're going to hop between countries, which is quite interesting. But what I was thinking is, you know, since he's got two shops now in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, you can just borrow one's eyes. No, now, now, he needs, now he needs to come to sunny South Africa and set up a shop here. I agree with that shit. I yeah. think very close to Niels. Well, then Niels will never get shit done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, we're well, just hanging out with Alex Steele. While we're talking about Niels and Alex Steele, mm. you know the Ang Yang Power Hammer? Yes, kind of sticker on top of it. No, what the googly eyes? You know those. Oh, that's right. Sorry, that Niels put the. Googly yes, yes, yes. And, and you Alex know, did a a, a story about that. Or yeah, because when Niels went over to Blade, was it last year? I think it was last year. Yeah, I'm not was, sure. I can't yeah, yeah, it was last year. He went and they did a stiletto together with him. Yes. And Will, Will and, and Alec, Alex. And then there was yeah. another knife maker. I can't remember who it was as well. Okay. But they did the stiletto together and Neil put the googly eyes on his power hammer. That's and awesome. Do, do you know who really started with the googly eyes on a power hammer? No. Daniel Moss. Who's that? That's that blacksmith I told you about on in, in the UK. He actually went to college to study blacksmithing. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got a, be a beautiful massy power hammer. But it's got always got the goggle. Always had, and every now and then he <coughs> slowly, man, slowly, wrong hole. Smooth. Oh man, that was so much filter. Woo. Okay. <coughs> but anyway, uh, Alex Moss started with that. His power hammers always had the googly eyes on, and he replaces them. Quite often, because with all the vibration of the hammer, the the googly eyes get cataracts. So he puts new. <laughs> I shouldn't have sold it and told you when you're doing coke. Oh my god, that's brilliant! That is brilliant. But yeah, that, that's the type of community we in that the guys are fun and sharing with their it's knowledge. A great community. It is it's a great community. Like, but like every community, you get your assholes. But oh, sure. in general. The guy's are very helpful, very giving. Yeah, I mean, I'm very uh, just for, like today, I sent Rihanna a message. I asked him if he's got three twenty grit hands uh, water paper in because I'd run out, Trenton's run out, yeah. and it's kind of the starting grit. And he said, "Yeah, no, he's got it in stock." And then I sent him a message: "Is it okay if I pop in in an hour?" And he didn't answer me. But I left about half an hour later. I drove to Sundra, which is like half an hour drive, and then I get there. And he's not there. He said, 
oh shit, he didn't answer, he, he didn't read the, the next message and he's, because he stays out in Sundra, he was in town for the, the shopping run. And I said, okay, we try, he tried phoning his brother and his mother, who his, his brother stays next door to him, his mother wasn't there. And anyway, I couldn't get the sandpaper. So I said, no problem. Um, we'll sort it out another time. He said, yeah, you can maybe come through on Sunday. And then he phoned me lunchtime and said, no, he's, he's going to come drop off the sandpaper. Do I need anything else as well? Such a legend. That's that's the type of people we have in our in our South African knife-making community. Yes. Beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful human beings. Mm. I mean, we still have to go to Henning's shop. Yes, that needs to happen. After Brooklyn, we'll yeah. make a plan. I think we must chat to, to Henning. Yes, because we definitely have spoken to him about. Yeah, he's, he just said that because his dogs in heat, we need to. We'll, we'll only be allowed to the gate. We won't be allowed in because he can't trust us with his dogs. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's but uh, I think maybe we should go do an episode there at, at Henning. Absolutely, have him on the show, and we can maybe because he's got some nice toys to play on. Oh, he's got lovely toys. He's got Hulk, Hulk squash. Yes, and maybe we can make a plan. We can go do some. You know, some mushrooms or... <laughs> some can, mushrooms? No, we can... I'm down. We can go maybe make some Damascus at him. Yeah. That we can maybe make... We should do a psilocybin trip-inspired knife. <laughs> yes, make a knife while you're on psilocybin and then sell it for lots and lots of money. <laughs> and then we call it High Makers and we develop this whole thing. Oh, if, if we want to do that, maybe we should go to Grant's place. That's a good idea. Because uh, I don't think Henning will appreciate that. So, uh, I mean, he knows that I do it, but I mean, I, I don't think he would like me smoking weed on his property. <laughs> we can get him here and smoke weed here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but Henning, Henning is such a character. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's incredibly video. funny. That video that Jack put on that oh. beautiful Henning going... <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. I almost fell off my chair. It's incredible. I laughed so hard. Mm. I laughed so hard. It's brilliant. He's a great guy. Yeah. One of of many in the community. Very skilled man. Yeah. Very skilled. Have you seen those integrals he's been making? Those chef's knives he's Dude, it's insanity. How he gets those. Like his keyholes and things uh, like that. It's like keyhole uh, integral, but fuck that guy. He's so horny for that shit. Oh, and I don't know if you follow Dylan Murish. Uh, I do. I do. Yes. Have you seen the keyhole bow he's done? No. Man in Damascus. I don't believe I have, no. You have to see that thing. I and he's he's been that. he's been battling a bit with his mojo because he's been trying uh to make, because uh, uh, he loves Bowie's. Okay. He's won best knife, uh, or best fighting knife at the Brooklyn show a couple of years already. Wow. He even, before he was a guild member, he entered both in the, because he was still a novice. He started about the same time as me. He's much further ahead than me. He's a guild member already. Wow. Um, but he entered, the, the second year I was there, he entered both in the novice category because he's allowed to, it was in his second year at the show. And he also entered in the, like the guild category. And he won both categories. 
that's the skill. But he's been battling. He's been trying to do multi um, multi bar Damascus, which is kind of tricky to do because you now you don't have a, a wide flat piece. You've got a narrow tall piece to get it to weld, and then you you cut a V in the tip to get the tip formed properly, so that oh the pattern God. flows to the tip. And he's been bat- He's had quite a few failures on that, but now this this keyhole he did was oh fuck, jeepers, dude. Yeah, this is the thing. You get guys out there who who can make a knife, and then you get guys out there who just get the game so good, and, and they understand it so well. And you, you know what I like about him is, is he doesn't. He's not. He's not there to make knives just for money. He's he's there to make knives because it's a passion for him, Absolutely. and you can you can see it in his work. Yeah, um, yeah. He's got an absolute passion for it. For sure. The same as Nielsen stuff. The same as Henning and Stuart and all of oh, these guys. Did you see what Stuart did the other day? What is that? Those Damascus knives he broke. Oh yes, I think I did see something like that. Yes. Yeah. Fuck. And he, he just wasn't happy with the Damascus. He left it in itch too long and he just said it wasn't good enough. So he <coughs> broke, he, he threw the one big bowie and just the tip broke because he fucking threw it. <laughs> and then he broke it and then he went to go check. He said, well, it's not good enough. And he went and he broke it in different places and he checked the grain. He could see the grain was a little bit more, was a little bit coarse. Um, he found in one of the knives that there was actual a bad weld. So he said it's a good thing that he broke it. Mm. Um, it's just he's he's going through a, a bad mental headspace at the moment. Sure. Because um, he's been through a lot of shit, eh? I'm sure he has. Uh, but, yeah, respect to him for, for getting back into the shop and... and Making fucking beautiful knives. He he's an exceptional mm. man. Like he he's he's a very nice person, but he's also very very talented. Yeah. Uh, and and you know to use talent as the word of choice there is is just a restriction of of English <laughs> of mm. of my language. Yeah. But uh, but. When I say talent, he's obviously spent the time and many, many years to acquire this skill. Yeah. But he's exceptional at it. Yeah. He's exceptional at it. I've actually, after Brooklyn, I've got to make him a set of dies for his press. Mm. <clears throat> okay. I've already modified his his, um, his main die set that he uses, which got a like a fullering drawing out section and a flatting mm. section. Wow. But he wants some square dies for doing, so he can start doing mosaic, because he says he really wants to do mosaic, and he just can't justify spending cash on buying, getting someone to make the dice. So we're doing a barter system. So I'm going to make him some squaring dies for his for his press, so that he can make nice squares mm. for for mosaic Damascus. Lovely, yeah. lovely. And the fact that I can get to help Stuart is just, it's really, I mean, it's, it's, it's just great. It's mm. just great. If you can, if you can help somebody out, it's, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And, and, the thing and, is, it's, and it's toward people who definitely deserve it as well. And the thing is, if you can, if you can help <coughs> someone out and you know that they're going to appreciate it, 
it makes it so much better. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. And I mean, he's done so much for the knife-making community. I mean, he started mm. up Saga. But did he really? Mm. With, wow. I think with, I think Kevin was involved. In, I'm not sure the history, but I know he's been there from the beginning. Mm. Um, and he's the de facto chairman forever, basically. Wow. <laughs> but he's, he's, He's really done so much for the community. He's taught so he taught Niels how to forge. I know. I know. It's incredible. And uh, to have a protege that comes from you having some involvement in teaching it yeah. is incredible. Yeah. Because Niels is, is no fucking laugh. He is an incredible mm. craftsman. Mm. And 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 that's that's a huge flex to uh, Stuart there. Yeah. Because he's taught Niels a lot of things. Mm. I'm not saying that Niels hasn't. He, he's obviously expanded on what he's yeah understood, and there's and that definitely comes down to his dedication of the of the craft. Yeah. And I'm not taking anything away from Niels, but I'm saying it's it must be a proud moment to see a student of yours in a way becoming a very very respected knife maker in the community. That's what you know. That's why I think Kevin and and Heather Harvey are so happy. Okay, I don't know them personally. So I don't know. I, I've met Kevin once, and he said, my, my, "It's a nice looking Bowie." So I was like, "As the as what woman?" I was like a woman dripping. <laughs> wow! It's like okay. wow for Kevin to say that's a nice Bowie. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's the Bowie master in South Africa. Okay, in terms of his style, she's also a Bowie master. But the satisfaction they, they must get from knowing how many people they brought into the guild. I mean, look at John Walker's work. He he went and did the courses with um, with uh, Kevin and Heather. Um, and before he submitted his knives, he sent them to Kevin to say, these are knives I want to submit. Are they guild standard? Mm. And he gave him a few things, a few minor things to sort out. John's digging the packet. Go on the table. Sorry. <laughs> so, so yeah, um, I think there must be so much satisfaction for them seeing how many people they've made a huge difference in terms of the of the capability and how much they've grown the industry. They've contributed to the community. Yeah, for sure. Look, I would love to meet them in person. Mm. I would love to meet them in person. I don't know if they're coming to Brooklyn. I don't know where they're situated. Mm. They in Belfast. Okay. In Mpumalanga. Mpumalanga. Try say that one, Americans. Mpumalanga. Mpumalanga. But I would, you know, we must maybe and go rob a bank or a cash and transit van or something, and we must maybe go do a course there with them. And have them on the, on the podcast. Oh, I'd love that. I'd love that. How and much is their course? I don't know offhand. Okay. But I, I want to do any course with them. Yeah. And the only reason I want to do any course with them is that at the end of the year, um, Kevin normally does a special course, and it's only for people who have done a course with them. Okay. And that is a Bowie course, and you get to make a Bowie with wow with Kevin Harvey. That's incredible. Now that's the one course I really want to do. 
I'd like to. I'd like to go do the Damascus course. I'd like to go do the the, the two week introduction to ABS uh, course. It's just a question of time and money. Yeah. For me, the Damascus course wouldn't be something I would be interested in doing purely because mm. it's not something I can practice at the moment. Mm. I, you know, I. If you if you just went and, and did the introduction to bladesmithing course, mm. uh, that would I would consider even just doing that course. Is depressed, very depressed. But maybe that's something we could do: is you go do the introduction to bladesmithing course there, because yes. even though I've done quite a bit of forging in the in my time, I still know jack. In my opinion, yeah, you know, you've got that learning curve mm. where you. Th- you get to a point where you think you know something, or you think you know everything, and then you realize you don't know shit. You don't know shit. I'm, I'm at that point just past there where I know I don't know shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's a crazy it's a crazy mm. learning curve. It's really really crazy. Because I mean, I spoke to Jacques about <coughs> shout out to Jacques who's now in High Fly in Abu Dhabi. He's clapping at that. He's yeah. having a jaw. But uh, he t- he told me about the course that he. Because he's done a couple of courses with uh, Kevin. And he said, Kevin gives you a piece of material that's just big enough to forge the knife you need to forge out of it. So there's no extra material you cut off. So you actually learn to forge and move the material the, what, yeah. the correct way. So you're not wasting material. Mm. And also to do it in a, in a, a time-efficient manner. If that makes sense. Of course it makes sense. There's there's specific things that you may be able well that you are gonna be able to do to make the process easier and simpler. Mm. And you know, I don't know anything about forging. I do purely stock removal at this point. I hope it's I don't hope. I know it's gonna change in time. Mm. But at the moment I'm purely doing stock removal. And the thing is you need to learn stock removal. The mm. stock removal aspect, because even if you forge the blade, you can only forge it to a certain point, and then you still have to grind it. Sure, sure, hundred percent. But I'm saying I want to get to the point where I'm forging blades out, and I understand how to forge to some degree. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I could probably knock out something, but it will not look elegant. It will not look well forged. Yeah, and the thing is, you've got to put, you've got to put the time in. To get somewhere, sure. and at the moment, the mo- its like Jack said—the most, the best thing you can do now is time behind the grinder. Sure. Once you've got that down mm. to a, a, a decent competency level, yes, then you can start looking at forging. Sure. I did it the other way. I started forging and then figured out how to grind. Yeah. But I'm just a stubborn bastard. <laughs> Well, that's the problem with me. I'm also pretty stubborn. But the thing is, you know, um, every aspect of knife making you have to learn. You do, yeah. And right now, you're, you, you've got to do stock removal. Yeah. Um, I also did stock removal. I mean, my vegan chef knives out of stainless steel, um, they stock removed. Yeah. You can't. You, you can forge certain stainless steels. But it's not really recommended because you can only just end up fucking up the grain structure okay. and cracking the blades. Because they stainless steel loses temperature for me much quicker than carbon steel. 
mm. and it's more sensitive to the forging temperature. Mm. So if you go forge too cold, you could just put cracks in the, and microfractures in the blade. Okay. Yeah. And then it looks, you go and you grind and you heat treat and do everything and it looks like a great knife and... Meantime, it's not. Six months down the line, the knife breaks. Ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. So don't forge that in steel unless you know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah. Unless you, as Neil says, you don't quench in water or brine is the actual way you quench. <coughs> you don't quench a knife in water unless you're a 2,000 year old master samurai sword maker. <laughs> yeah. But Look, actually, I, I, I still don't know shit. So no. I, I know a fair amount, but it's enough to get me by for where I'm at right now. Mm. And it's just the stock removal aspect. And I'm still very much learning. And, and I know is, that there's a lot of guys who are younger than me or mm. the same age as me who are doing exceptional work. Mm. And I respect those guys. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Um, but they just, they're on a different path and they're on a different timeline. Yeah, they are. I mean, I only started not making knives after I was 40. I wish sure. I'd have figured it out a lot fucking earlier to save me a lot of heartache. <laughs> well, if I stay dedicated, mm. hopefully one day I'll know what I'm doing. Mm. Look, from a, a purely design aspect, I must admit you're a lot better than majority of the knife makers who may be a better skilled at making a knife at the moment. But the from a design side, I mean, I see a lot of knives on, on Facebook where it's, and I look at it and it just, it's fucking horrible. Mm. To me, it's fucking horrible. Sure. The handle looks chunky. And as, as Stuart says, he hates square handles. Mm. And square corners. Sure. Or the plunge lines are fuzzy. Mm. Or the, the, the grind line at the top of the knife is fuzzy. It's rounded. It's not crisp. And those little pedantic things irritate the shit out of me. But the person's been making knives longer than I have, maybe. Mm. But from if I look at... at those two hunters you showed me, which are flipping nice. Thank you, bro. I really, I really like them. Thank you um, very much. And even your kitchen knives. From a design side, they are great looking knives. They're functional. They, you know, they tick all the boxes. Now you just need to get to the skill level where um, executing it consistently mm. And without too much carefuling. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, or strain. That just that's just time behind the grinder. Sure. So you really have the design aspect. I mean, even when I studied at university, I mean we had guys that were incredibly fucking intelligent and way better book smart than me. But they couldn't design a fucking door in a garage. You know? <laughs> so it's it's <coughs> everybody's got different skills yeah. everybody's got different skills I mean when I went to university I mean I went to a technical school so I did I did technical drawing and I did uh, fitting and turning so I knew how to make things I've always yeah. been tinkering with my dad in the garage or with my other fa other father Sylvia my best friend's dad because we used to alternate in high school between my house and his his house on the farm yeah and his dad builds shit from his garage, uh, machines, and yeah. fixes things, welds, fabricates. So I learned all all that hand-on skill. Yes. I learned 
throughout my life. Yes. It's only now that I'm applying it to knife making because I've only started knife making four years ago. Yeah. Four years ago now, yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um I I always look at guys my age as a as a as a big inspiration, mm. to be honest. Mm. Because I can I can look at them and I can say they're achieving this amazing level of mm. of skill. Mm. And if they can do it, then that means I can also do it. Because mm. it seems more achievable. Mm. And yes, maybe they've been doing it for longer, hundred percent, mm. yeah. But I know if I focus and I apply what I've learned, mm. I can I can do very good stuff in the future. Mm. But it's just going to take time. Mm. So, the, the you know a, a young guy that is doing exceptional work is uh, my good friend Liam McRoberts. He does great work. He made a beautiful, beautiful fluted handled dagger the other day. I, I symmetrical dagger. I know the name. Liam Roberts. He I, I met him at the first Brian Blixen that I ever went to. Mm. No. Was it the second one? I can't remember. Anyway, I met him there and we've stayed in contact and mm. he's he's such a golden guy. He's really a golden guy. <coughs> I, I just can't put a knife to to his name. A knife to his name. Yeah, that's such a good way of putting it. Um, but I know, I know Liam McRoberts. Mm. He's a great guy, great, good with photography as well, and he does archery, which is very cool. Mm. He's into a lot of stuff. I think he said to me that he was building a forge at some point. Um, I think he shared something on his Instagram story mm. where he's working in his in his forge. <laughs> Have you seen what Antony's been doing today? He sent me some pictures. It's, hey. It looks like a pipe with a whole bunch of holes in it. And he said something about he treating it in an anthracite forge or something. I don't know. Something. He's, he's making something that Sword is busy with, which is an N690. Yes. Good um, hand, Is that N690? N690. Oh, not M. Oh, not M390, but it's still, it's, it's stainless steel. It's shit. The thing is, he's got a sword to make. Um, Bowler's fucking him around with heat treatment. Yeah. And the problem is, he's in Kalfinia. So for him to get the thing here to Bowler in Joburg, Fuck. it's a thousand rand in courier fees. Oh. Because he's in the middle of fucking nowhere. And the thing is, he can't speak to the people who are doing the heat treatment directly to say, this is what I want. This is how mm. I want you to quench it. You know, if he sends a sword to fucking Bowler, they're gonna, he's going to get back a cook sister. It's just, it's the way the heat treatment industry works in South Africa. So he's building a, a tube to, so he can heat treat the sword. And he says, if he fucks it up, he fucks it up. Mm. He'll get a piece of uh, 5160. He will make another one out of 5160 for the guy. And the guy must just have to weld the sword. Um, he said, but that's the best he can do. Yeah. Um, and well, hats off to him. Yeah, hats off to him. Because he's trying, he's, He's trying to do shit. Yeah. Um, I respect that. Like, he's trying to make a plan, and he mm. might well learn something from it. And and that's... If you're trying hard, even if you might be on what is considered the wrong path... Um, You'll make it. You can still get... It might be fucking going over the Drakensberg barefoot through fucking hailstorm. 
but you'll get to the other side. You'll get to the other side. And it's and just normally stainless steel is you heat treat it in a kiln because it's very sensitive. You, your temperature has to be right. And I sure. all my stainless steel knives I've heat treated in my forge. Shit. Um, Something I want to get is an oven. I would like to get a quench oven, a, a, a heat treatment kiln. I was like, what's that? <laughs> for, for heat treatment, but also mainly for normalizing. Yes. Because yes. you get much more controlled yeah. heating. Mm. Um, and that controlled heat, mm. is that very important for letting the stresses out very controlled well if you want to refine the grain structure mm. you want to take it as close to the right temperature as possible and normally you start at say 850 then you do 800 and then you this do is now carbon steel carbon yeah. steel yeah for a carbon you can't it's not recommended to normalize stainless steel oh is that right yeah okay. because stainless steel is air hardening to a certain extent right so what is that because of though? What's the air hardening agent? It's the it's the um it's the Is it nickel? No, it's it's the it's to do with the chromium and the other elements in the stainless steel. Okay. So that's why you shouldn't really quench a stainless steel blade in fast quenching oil because you can crack it. Because right. it, it cools too quickly. It's the same as putting a carbon steel blade in water. Sure. Okay. Yeah, what Jack said to me was basically the less complex the steel the faster you can quench it mm. he said it's it's I, I i think he said it's not a hard and fast rule but it's, it's the general, general it's the general rule. because when you've got a complex steel like a stainless steel it's got chromium and other elements you want those uh other elements to form carbides <clears throat> because that's hard yes that's what's hard so the excess culfer, what the fuck is that? The excess carbon. <laughs> we found a new, a new uh, uh, element one sixty nine element for the <laughs> periodic table. But, How's that? Sorry, we must get back to the periodic table. Finish no, your story. But um, you want the the different elements to form carbides with the excess carbon in the matrix, because normally your your hardenable carbon still got quite a high carbon. Um, but there's obviously too much to fit into the matrix to have just iron carbide. So you want the other elements to form the carbides in amongst this matrix. So that's why stainless steels you normally hold at a temperature for a, a certain period of time to allow those carbides to form in the matrix in a homogeneous distribution. And then you quench it, but in a slow oil. So you're allowing the carb carbon to migrate... Yeah, to, to form the right carbides. Okay. And then when you quench... Is that, is that right, though? Is the, the way I'm putting it, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. That's why you, you'll you see on... They've got a certain soak time at a temperature. Okay. And then you quench it in the oil. Yes. And yes, with stainless right. steel, yeah. stainless steel is very, very good for... Or, or a very good way of heat... Or heat treating stainless steel especially on thinner blades, is, is to plate quench it. Plate quenching, yes. Because then you don't have the chance of warping, or you have far less chance of warping, and 
The plates suck out the heat fast enough to harden it. Jack does that on RWL34. Yeah. Yeah. Because... I can't remember the other steels he does it on, but... RWL34 is... is, is that's the stainless he uses for his... For straight uh, razors. For straight razors. Yeah. Because it's got a very fine grain structure, and um, you don't need to cool <coughs> it that quickly. And Sorry, say that again? You don't need to cool it that quickly. Okay. Because it's a stainless. Mm. And the plate quenching, I think, just works better for that steel. Okay. Wow. It's, it's like when, when it just I, sucks the heat out so quick. Mm, because it's uh, you get different from my engineering background. I'll drop that bomb again. Drop it again. Bro. Um, in heat transfer, you get different forms of heat transfer. So you get radiant heat transfer. You get convection. You get conduction, conduction, radiation. and radiation. Yeah. Now. When you put something in a liquid, <clears throat> it's got, it's better than air. Put it that way. Yeah. Because air is convection. So it's very slow yes. to dissipate the heat. Yes. Whereas if you put it in a liquid, you have convection Con and conduction. Yes. Because right. the liquid forms a gas jacket around it, but it's limited to a certain extent. Mm. So there's some convection there, but there's also contact. So mm. there's also conduction. Whereas with the plate quench, it's all conduct. So it sucks the, the heat out very quickly. Mm. Um, it does, especially if they're thick and they're mm. big plates. They've got, a good, they've got to have a good uh, heat sink value. Yes, yes. Um, I wonder what the ratio is for that, that it's the most efficient. Like how, how thick, depending on the size of the blade and mm. so on, how thick and how dense does the piece of steel need to be, the two pieces of steel? Well, Because Jack's got a f two fair-sized ones. Well, after speaking to Jack, um, he says you want something... You obviously want something that's thick. Yes. Thick enough, but also not too thick that it's too difficult to manage. Yes. Unless so, you build something specifically for Something that. specifically for it. But then... <coughs> it's then it becomes it's not a home shop thing then it becomes like it's an industry thing sure so you could make a pneumatic press with big plates on sure. and everything and you whip the pla the blade out slap it in there press the button boom and it closes it and which would be amazing it would be amazing but I mean fit that maybe Garth Fletcher can work on that for us but but you don't need it that's the thing yeah you get you, you get Jack said at least. But I mean quench planes. Mm. Just you just putting them in your vice. That's how Jack does it. Mm. He puts them at an angle at mm. the bottom mm. that it comes up triangularly yeah. uh to the top, but mm. like an upside down triangle. Mm. And he sometimes puts a little wedge to mm. keep plates in in where he needs them. Mm. And then he clamps it close to the size mm. of the thickness of the blade mm. and then he'll put it in there and he'll clamp it mm. make sure it's straight and everything's fine mm. and they're clamping directly mm. on like and it's incredible it just sucks the heat out but what i saw what um <coughs> philip dunn does or well, i don't he did it i don't know if he still does but i think he does he took a woodworker's vice okay and instead of mounting it like you normally do to the table, he mounted it so it opens up and down. That's clever. And then he put his two plates in between. Yeah. And it's got the quick release. 
on the woodworker's oh, wife. Shit. So yeah. he, he opens it, he puts the blade flat, he drops it down, gives cool. it a little bit of a crank. Done. Bob Jonty. Done. And then he even blows air through as well. Because I think he uses... Jack, al- Jack does that as well. Yeah, he uses... I think Philip uses aluminium plates. Aluminium plates. Okay. But the thing is with aluminium, you need to go a bit thicker because you need more rigidity. Yes. yes. Okay. But uh, I was eyeing at work. There's a piece of scrap armor plate there that's 60 more thick. How big is it? It's about this big, but the problem is it's only one piece. Fuck. And after speaking to Jack, <coughs> he says your plates need to be the same. Because you want to equal heat capacity on both sides. Sure. Otherwise, you're going to pull a warp in. Yes, you're going to pull a warp. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So We want them both to be as as close to the same as possible. Yeah. That's why I'm thinking I'm still going to buy that piece of armor plate before I leave that place. Because it's just the right size to make a nice fucking anvil. And it's a striking hard. anvil. No, I wouldn't use it for strike. I'd no. make, a, I'd make a, a church style... Uh, church style. They call it a church style, so it doesn't have a horn. Okay. It's, so like that one that uh, Dennis Grill makes. Yeah, one like that, but yeah. one, with a 60 more armor plate. Is that hardenable, or is it hardened it's, already? It's hardened already, yeah. Oh, jeepers. It's... Uh, the, that, the, that, that's going to have some nice rebound. rebound well, it's... Is it's it hard? It's, it's hard, but it's not knife hard, but it's... I think it is... But is it anvil hard? Like, is it it's compa- anvil hard, yeah. compared to other anvils, is it mm. that hardness? It's that hardness, yeah. Okay. Because What is that hardness? on on? The... I don't know on the rock hole, but I know the classification of the steel. Yeah, the, the armor plate we use for testing the ammunition is um, Armox 440T. And the what Arm- is that? Armox 440T. So, it's a brand. It's from Sweden. Okay. The Armox, the 440T is, I think the T is the tempered, means it's in the tempered state when you get it. Okay. And the 440 is to say that it is 440 uh, hardness Brunel. Now, what that trans- translates to in, in Rockwell, it's probably around, let's, let's do a quick, we'll ask Jamie quickly. Jamie? <laughs> Jamie. Jamie? Jamie. What is 440 uh, uh uh, 440. Can you just pull that up quick? No, pull it up. Just put it on screen. <laughs> Joe Rogan podcast <laughs> all day. Train by day. Joe Rogan podcast by night all day. 440 Brunel to Rockwell C. Just give me the fucking answer, man. I wanted to get back to what we were talking about with the periodic table. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let's, let's just see here. Any feedback? Uh, yeah. 400. It's harder than 440. So I would guess it is about... Mm, about a 50-odd rock wall. Somewhere around there. Yeah. Okay. But it's super tough. I mean, it's armor plate. Okay. So it's 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 made for taking abuse. Yeah, sure. And the thing is, because it's a known steel, mm. 
uh, I, I've got the, the 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 technical specs on it. Yeah. So I could look up how to harden it if I want. Yes, sure. That's and, crazy though. But I would I make would, a nice anvil out of that, right? Yeah, because it's it's nice and thick. Yes. Um, and what you <coughs> what are you just gonna build up the body? Yeah, I'll fabric cobble. You know, I'll fabric cobble. Yeah, I know. But I've been I've been watching some really good welding videos. Yeah. You know, we. I came across this channel. The, the guy does a lot of repair on um, welding repairs on these um, earth moving equipment and stuff. So it's big, thick steel that he's welding, mm-hmm. and how he preps the things and how he lays the beads down. Um, so he does. When, when he repairs a plate that's broken, mm. he grinds a full V in it. So if he can access well, if he wants to weld it from both sides, he has like a a, a, a wedge. Yeah. If he can, if he's only going to weld from the one side, he'll he'll put just a bevel, a single bevel on it. Sure. But he, he grinds it, fills fills that whole thing, with fills weld. that whole thing with weld, and then what he does is he also puts stiffener plates on. So like the one I just watched recently, he was fixing it like a. a, a one of those fucking, you know, reach and grab things on the tracks. Yeah, One of sure. those things. Okay. Where the hydraulic cylinder mounts on the arm, the yeah. two ears broke off. Oh. And he says it looks like the failure is from one of the welds that they were probably welding the steel cold. So the steel wasn't preheated. Uh, but the thickness so of the, the steel. contact wasn't great. No, the problem is if you don't preheat the steel when it's thick, it sucks so much heat out of the weld that you make the weld brittle. Ah, okay. Okay. So they okay. they normally you normally heat up the steel to about 150 to 200 degrees Celsius and then weld it. Okay. So that it doesn't suck the heat out too quickly. Um, sure. But he identified where the failure was because it was his his thinking was that it's cold welding because the thickness of the plate where it broke, he says is borderline on whether you need to heat it up or not. He prefers to heat it up because it's. He just doesn't want the thing to come back where it broke on his welding. Yeah. From a quality standpoint. Sure. But he says that as with all his welding, <clears throat> the key thing is anybody can pull a bead. But it's the preparation you put in to make sure the welding areas are clean, especially if you're doing CO2 welding or TIG welding. Mm. Your surfaces must be clean. Okay. With stick welding, you can burn through a lot of the oxides. Um, you don't have to clean it up as much. So to say, but the preparation gives you the the, the strength. And yes. I mean, if you cut a wedge or or V's into your where you're welding, you get full penetration, and then you're yeah. just stacking bead upon bead upon bead. Yes, yes, yes. Um, <coughs> which makes then, it very strong. And then what he does as well then is he, he cuts stiffener plates to put on the back of the plate that he welded all the way around, so that where he had welded to fix it, it's obviously not the the ideal metal structure anymore so now with the stiffener plates on it just adds a little bit of extra strength so that it won't break again mm-hmm. um, but that's a welding for me is a fascinating thing I mean, yeah I'd, I'd love to look into doing it um, whether that's forge welding or actual welding there are some limitations for me but <clears throat> your the the thing that I wanted to say earlier about the periodic table, I think this is very important mm. to mention. So the periodic table, some chick, I can't remember who it was that figured this out, 
she mentioned this in her speech or something. Mm-hmm. And she figured out that the periodic table, mm-hmm. if you look at the periodic table, she basically broke down the periodic table to spell out mm-hmm. fuck bitches get money. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at it and I was like, no ways. It's real. <laughs> fuck bitches get money. Periodic table. Yeah. That's brilliant. It's great way to just like memorize mm-hmm. it though. It's great. I think we need to pause and make coffee. I think that is an excellent it's idea. A- I mean, we are, we can actually stop recording this one. Yeah. I think then- it's a good place to end. Yeah, so... On fuck bitches get money. Yeah, fuck bitches get money. <laughs> no, no disrespecting women. Because we are actually in the 16 days of... Uh, um, trying to improve or... In recognition of the fight against gender-based violence. Mm. Which I think is a very important topic, especially in our country, because we have we have a very bad a bad environment for everybody in general, which results in a lot of gender-based violence, which is just not cricket. No, it's it's but definitely... any form of violence is is just you know, sometimes violence is justified, except when as We'll end it on this point. This will be my last point for this discussion. So it was, uh, I don't know if it was Confucius or some Chinese philosophy. It's that it's only when a mosquito lands on your testicles that you realize that violence isn't the solution to everything. (laughs) And it is so true. What? What is that? Oh my goodness, that's incredible. So yeah, guys, it has been a great episode. Thank mm. you so much if you've made it through to here. Yeah, we hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you're buying tickets for the Jeffrey. <clears throat> yes, and uh, um, the rule is, if you buy a ticket, you can handle it and have a look. Yeah, you can fondle it. You can fondle it gently. a little bit, very gently, <laughs> gently for the Jeffrey. <laughs> you guys need to. You guys need to take a hit of this, Jeffrey. It'll calm you down. <laughs> Pass me the lighter. Pass me the lighter. All right, guys. We're off to go make some coffee and probably coffee. hit the bed because we've got to get up early and um, start fucking working. Working, yeah. Yeah. Right, guys. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Open Hearthcast. Find us on Instagram at Open Hearthcast, and we'll see you again real soon.